Now, let's get to the talk today. The talk today is God's laws and introduction. Now, the reason why I decided to actually do this talk today rather than the other talks was that most of us have a lot of trouble with law. When I say a lot of trouble with law, um, and maybe I just need to check, make sure that we're recording. Are we recording? Or? Yeah, we're recording. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> but most of us have a lot of trouble with law. We have a lot of trouble having uh, with with this whole concept that we're governed by something. Now, some of us are quite happy to be governed by things because it makes our life much more simple. You know, if you can go to somebody and get a law from them to tell you what to do, then it makes your life real simple. You don't have to think or feel much about it at all, do you? All you just do is do what they say. Does that make sense? Now, the problem with that, of course, is that we're trying to open up our souls and our hearts, right? And we're trying to now get to the stage where we're going to be running everything from our emotions. Now, if we're governed by laws, and we're trying to run these laws through our mind intellectually, what's happening most of the time is that we're trying to check every one of our actions with what we know to be the law at the time. So before we started our discussion, say, a year and a half ago, many of you didn't know the full extent of the law of attraction, for example, did you? You didn't realise how it all worked. There's a lot of information out there about it, but all of it seems to be fairly conflicting and it's not, you know, not always very clear. And so what we have a tendency to do then is we go down the track, well, oh, I don't really know the law, so I'm just going to live my life how I see fit. Now... In time, of course, when your soul is harmonious with God completely, living your life how you see fit is quite easy and you will never break a law doing it that way. But up until that time, if you live your life how you see fit right now and you've got emotions in you that are you know, sad emotions or angry emotions or all those kind of things going on inside of you, what's going to happen? Well, quite a few people are going to receive some of your anger. And quite a few people are going to receive the results of some of the other emotions that you have within you, which will actually be breaking some laws. So we have to get this balance somehow of how do we progress without actually creating more damage to ourselves in the process. Does that make sense to everyone? G'day, mate. How you doing? <laughs> so, so if we continue to allow ourselves to progress... At some point, we're going to come up with this problem or this issue that we have within ourselves. And that is this issue of how much do we follow the law intellectually or how much do we learn about this law from an emotional perspective and what are the laws anyway? And do I need to learn every law? So these are some of the issues that we want to discuss today. Also, most of us are not aware that there is a hierarchy of laws. So some laws overcome other laws. And we'll go through and talk about that today as well, like how different laws affect our soul and affect even our physical form and what's going on physically. Now, I've also invited, I've also invited a lot of spirits here today. One of the reasons why I invited a lot of spirits is because um, there's a lot of spirits in the spirit world, particularly in the first sphere of the spirit world, that do not understand law. You imagine for a moment, is all of your life you spent here on earth, um, you didn't really understand much about God or you didn't even really believe much in God perhaps 
you, you know, you found out different things about your life and you lived what you thought was a pretty good life, you know, and you did good things for others and, and, uh, you know, some things happened to you that was quite, that were quite damaging to you emotionally and, and physically. And so, you know, you had some anger and different other emotions that build up in you. And then all of a sudden something occurs in your life and you pass. So you pass from an illness or you pass from an accident or just from old age. When you pass in that state, you wouldn't actually have very much knowledge of where you're going to, would you? So imagine you arrive in the spirit world and somebody comes to meet you and starts talking to you about different things. And Now, you will be very tempted to want to keep talking about the things that you were talking about on earth. So, you know, if you're worried about money on earth, then you want to talk to them about the money. What happens to the money now? You know, if you're worried about your family on earth and what's happening with them, then you'd want to do that. Does that make sense? You, if you're worried about different matters pertaining to, you know, your livelihood in the spirit world, then you'll start talking to them about that. How does everything work here, you know? So there's a lot of physical things, can you see, that you'd be starting to address. But there's this other problem that goes on inside of us, and that is our soul is a reflection of emotions in it. And so we're often locked into a location in the spirit world that we're, that we're not as nice, that is not as nice as where we are here on earth. And so we start worrying about that. And we start wondering how that occurred. Like what, what actually occurred there? We start asking questions. But the problem is, is that surrounding us, there's often a lot of people in the same place that we're in. Does that make sense? It's like having all these friends, the law of attraction works, so having, it's like having all these new people, you don't really know them very well, but you've met them in the sleep state, so you remember that at least, and then you get together with them, and they all have very much the same concept that you have. So if you were a scientist and you passed, you'd probably get together with a group of scientists, and they'd have a very fixed concept with a few additions of what they feel the spirit world is like. If you're a religion, some kind of religion on earth, so let's say you were some kind of Christian religion on earth, you'd have a very fixed concept of what would, should happen when you pass. And when you pass, there'll be a lot of people surrounding you who have exactly the same concepts as well. And, and so they're all, it's like the blind leading the blind, in a way, isn't it? Nobody's really knowing the full extent of how everything works. But everyone wants to know, but they don't know who to ask because there's nobody else who seems to know much more than themselves. So, so it's very, very confusing. And when you get into that state, when you start feeling confused, what do you start doing then? You start sort of backing off emotionally, saying giving up, you know, not feeling like, well, what's the point? I'm just going to live my life here like I live my life on earth. And a lot of times that's what they do. So a lot of the spirits who have been invited here today have actually, are actually living their life in a very, very similar way than what they lived it on earth. And, but they're in the spirit world and they know they're in the spirit world. Also, there's a whole group of spirits who are very, very uh, drawn back to the earth. You've heard the term earthbound. So they're drawn back to the earth because they don't like where they are in the spirit world and they prefer to be here. Right? So there's a whole group of those kind of spirits influencing what's going on too. And they don't understand why that's the case. And you know what it's like if your entire life you do not understand. You imagine, so many of us at the moment feel we at least start to understand our life, but you imagine passing over and then coming to grips with all of these things that you've never heard of before, never were emotionally connected to before, never wanted to investigate them before, and all of a sudden now you're just confronted with them all, all at once. Like, that's going to be a fairly traumatic experience, isn't it? And so many of these spirits 
haven't learnt about God's laws and they don't understand why they are where they are. And you know what that's like? If you don't understand why something's happening, it gets pretty confusing. How many of you went to some kind of learning institution when you were younger? Obviously, we've all been to school generally, but also maybe university. What was it like when you didn't get something? Like, how confused inside of yourself did you get? How, you know, how difficult was that emotionally to deal with? I just don't understand this. Often that's the case with mathematics, isn't it, at school? Particularly in maybe matriculation, you know, year five matriculation or the, or the, the, the later years where the mathematics starts getting quite complicated. And you're starting to really have a problem conceiving what it's all about. Imagine that emotionally. <clears throat> Imagine you being in that state emotionally. So many of the spirits who are here are in that state emotionally. And so what we want to do is address all of these issues in a nice, concise way that helps you understand divine law as an introduction. Every single law has its own principles, which we will talk about at later time. So at a later time, we'll talk about the law of cause and effect, for example. And we'll talk about what it actually means and how God created it, why God created it, and all those kind of different detailed aspects. Today, the purpose of the chat is to actually talk about an overview of all of these laws. Not an overview of each individual law, but how God designed law generally and for what purpose and what is actually going on. Not, not only right now in your life, but also what, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> what happens when you pass. So we'll talk about all of that today. And I feel free to ask questions today um, as well about that. Just remember to hold that microphone up nice and close so that we can get the sound. Now, you've all had an outline handed out to you. Okay, so you notice it's a three-page outline. Um, it might not be too concise because I'm opted up this morning. <laughs> most of the things in my life lately uh, happened at the last minute. Um, because most of the time, other times, I'm dealing with my emotions. So, one of the things I'd like to say to you before we get started into the discussion proper is that I'm going to use terminology that really triggers you emotionally today. So, I'm going to talk about things such as sin, for example. Now, how many of you, when you hear that word sin, oh, you just have this, oh, feeling like, how many of you feel that? This real religious sort of, oh, that doesn't sound very good. How about the word judgment? How does that one get you? Yeah, not, not too happy with that word. Um, you see, every single word that is used has an emotional impact upon us because of an emotion inside of us. In itself, the word judgment has a specific meaning, but it becomes emotional if there's some unhealed things within us. Does that make sense? So many of us feel some emotions about judgment. Now, you can understand why. Because when we were young, in particular, we were judged all the time, and often condemned, and often punished in the process. And so that, you know, that's obviously very unpleasant. And so what happens is we go down this track now, whenever we hear that word, we just rebel. Today I'm going to use words like that. Sin, judgment, penalty, right? which are all part of this law system that God made. But they don't have the meanings that you think they have. Does that make sense to everyone? They don't have the emotional connotation that you've placed upon them in most cases. And so we'll talk about the true emotional connotation, the, the actual truth about those terms. 
The other thing I wanted to do today is just to get you to focus on your feelings. Because what happens a lot when we hear a talk about God's laws, we go all intellectual on it. So we start going down this process of, oh yeah, you know, trying to work it all out in our mind. Now the problem with that is, is that you're going to avoid some pretty key emotions within you if you do that today. And you'll feel quite triggered if you do that today in this talk. Because when we start talking about sin, judgment, penalty, and those kind of terminologies, which most of us associate with some kind of religious viewpoint, don't we? Then we're going to start getting those emotions within us triggered. So the key for you is to allow yourself to feel the emotion you feel about these things. Once we've defined them and once we've worked through all of that, we'll find that these, all of these terms have loving connotations, actually. And that's something that will be quite surprising to us once we get to the state of feeling it. So my suggestion is to stay away from the intellectual analysis of law and get into the emotional space where you feel what the law means. So for example, the law of attraction. We can intellectually analyze it and say, what it means is there's a soul, there's a soul feeling inside us that attracts an event, oftentimes the event's negative, in order to experience this emotion within us. But there's also a positive soul feeling in us that can attract an event and then the experience is positive. The law of attraction is this soul attracting all of the events around it. Now I can go very negative about all of that. I could start, I could start getting very afraid of my day-to-day -day life. Can you see why? Oh, I've got all these really bad emotions. I can feel them in me, you know. And what are they attracting? You know, and then I start analysing what each one's attracting and all that. You don't need to do that. But you do need to understand the law from an emotional perspective. And this is what we want to try to do today. So hopefully that's given you a sort of an introductory groundwork of what we want to accomplish today. Is there any questions so far about that? No? Interesting that... Uh, it needs to come through the sound system, so... <coughs> because that we're recording it through the sound system. Interesting that you started the law of attraction with negative. Yeah, that's right, because most, of, most people actually feel the law of attraction in a negative way. Um, the truth is that the law of attraction is also very positive. In fact, it's all, in my opinion, always positive. But, but the majority of us don't see it that way. We worry about our law of attraction. Like, what are my fears pulling into my life now? You know, how many of you worry about something last week? Worried about the money you have, worried about, you know, the, the life you had, worried about maybe having an accident, and maybe how much of your actions were dependent upon avoiding those things you worried about, right? Quite a lot, probably. Well, there's the law of attraction at work in a negative way, right? But we don't. And, and so for many of us, what we think is negative way. It's not actually negative, it's actually very positive because it's exposing some emotions, which we'll learn. But we think it's negative. So the key thing for us all the time is to focus on the fact that everything that God has designed, God has designed for the operation of a loving universe. And so what we're going to also address is how did sin and error come about? How did pain come about then, if everything's loving? So we'll also address that in this discussion. All right. Now, all laws um, are created by God, which I've already stated. And I uh, need my... Uh, I'm not very organised today. 
as I said, I was not very organised this morning. <laughs> um, so all laws are created by God. So that's the first thing to bear in mind. God made them. Why did God make them? For the orderly operation of the universe. There is nothing you can do that can create anarchy in the universe. Right? There is certainly plenty of things man can do to create anarchy in his sphere of operation. So in other words, if some, some person on earth decided to press the button with the atomic bomb, then obviously we could have an atomic war which could be very, very damaging to this particular earth. But it's not going to damage the rest of the universe. God's laws all govern the universe perfectly. And even the earth, if man damaged it to the point where there was radiation for thousands of years or hundreds of thousands of years, most of the things that can occur after that, the half-lives of the, the way that everything's been designed, eventually there'll be no radiation back on the earth again and eventually everything life will start regenerating again. God has made everything that way. Does that make sense? Nothing you can do can actually ruin the universe. That being said, there's plenty of things you can do to damage yourself and other people right? through the choice of not acting lovingly. But we'll discuss that separately, how pain and suffering came into existence. All of God's laws also... The majority of them that we are totally unaware of operate upon the soul. Now, do you remember what the soul is? What's the soul? Emotions. So, if we... Soul? It's our emotions. Desires. Passions. Aspirations. Intentions. It's the soul that has free will. So almost all of God's laws operate upon the soul. And this is why the majority of people are not aware of what's happening. Because most of us are not even aware of what our soul is, let alone how laws operate upon the soul. Does that make sense? But almost all of God's laws operate upon the soul. Now, there are some laws that God has designed to operate upon the spirit body, which is attached to the soul. And there are some laws that God has designed that operate upon the material body, which is attached to the spirit body. And in fact, there are some laws that operate upon each component of the material body, and there are some laws that operate on each component of each component of the material body, right the way down to the adamantine particles which form all of the physical universe. So there's laws that operate on those particles as well. Now, can you start seeing that, boy, we start adding up a lot of groups of laws now, that affect us personally. In fact, there are literally millions and millions of laws that affect us personally. Now, many scientists in the spirit world spend their whole existence of hundreds of years at a time just investigating one particular law. Right? And then once they've investigated that and they think they understand that, then they go to another particular law. You imagine how long that's going to take to know what the laws are? You can investigate God's laws, because they are infinite in nature, for an infinite amount of time and still not know them all. And that's the problem with law, is that there are so many of them, how do we even discover them? And how do we know, how can we ever know what they are? Now at this point, a lot of spirits in particular feel the emotions of, I'm just giving up. 
Like, what's the point? I'm just going to live my life how I see fit. But if you understand a hierarchy of laws, then you will understand that there's really in the end only one law or one group of laws that all you need to do is understand that group of laws and everything else will change for you. And that's one of the things we'd like to discuss today as well. Now, if the soul is the primary receiver or the primary thing upon which all laws operate, then it is so important for us to understand firstly the soul, which we've dealt with in previous discussions, and it's also very important for us to get away from, remember our minds, our mind and our brain, our mind is in our spirit body and our brain is in our material body, we need to get away from analysing things here and into this space of analysing things at the emotional feeling level. When we do that, we will start understanding the purpose of every law. Alright, so, so for example, if I give you some examples. The law of gravity operates upon your body at the physical point of view. Does that make sense? It doesn't operate upon your spirit body. It operates upon your physical body. So if you go up to an unusually high building, stand on the edge and decide to jump off, or are pushed off, or fall off accidentally, what's the result? The same result generally. You hit the bottom and straight away a separation occurs between your soul and spirit body and the physical body because your physical body cannot sustain the damage it receives from the fall. But there's another law. There's another law besides the law of gravity which is the law of aerodynamics. Now the law of aerodynamics is if I have a certain type of flow, certain type of structure somehow attached to me, I can actually overcome the law of gravity. Right? So I can actually safely jump off the building and glide around, glide around, glide around with the law of aerodynamics until I hit the ground. So it's a combination now of the law of gravity and the law of aerodynamics that governs what happens. But it's actually quite safe. In fact, how many of you have never been in an aeroplane? Nobody. <laughs> you haven't been. Well, Mum and Dad should take you one day. I've been on when I was when I was in my mum's tummy. And ah. So you have been in an aeroplane, yeah, but you can't remember it. And to Melbourne. And to Melbourne. Yeah. All that time you spent in the in the air. Yeah, but we picked up a new truck. And you picked up a new truck. <laughs> yeah. But can you see how like, we can spend all this time in the air and we feel, to a degree, safe. I say to a degree because many of you don't feel safe when you're flying <laughs> and feel quite agitated. I once knew a man who had to have five or six uh, drinks, heavy drinks, before he could actually fly every single time. But we often do do it because we know intellectually that it's pretty safe. Probably more safe than walking across a crowded street in many cases. So, so what we're doing then is we're now focusing here on our physical body. Our physical body is utilizing the law of gravity and utilizing the law of aerodynamics in order for it to do something. I don't see too many of you complaining about the law of gravity either. Like, oh, the law of gravity really annoyed me today, you know. Like, <laughs> like 
is that what happens? Like, very rare. I really want to get uh, get rid of this law of gravity. It's a pain in the neck. I don't know what God was thinking about this law of gravity. Like, and in fact, the truth is that you know the Earth is spinning around at quite a speed, right? And and if there was no law of gravity, where would we be? Somewhere out in space, right? Because there's this centrifugal force that would just fling us out there. So so the law of gravity is actually a very like loving law. It keeps us on this earth and it keeps us being able to sustain life as well for the physical body. So it's a lovely law. Um, not a lovely law when you fell off a building though. Does that make sense? There's a penalty associated with breaking the law. But most of us don't complain about it so much, do we? In that regard, we just accept the physical penalty for the physical breaking of that physical law. Most of us feel like that. All right, now the law of gravity does not affect the spirit body. There's a whole different set of laws that affect the spirit body. So the instant you pass, you will never again experience the law of gravity. It will never govern your life. That's pretty amazing, really, when you think about it. Just that one physical law, that one law, won't ever be experienced by you in the spirit state. So can you see also that there's different laws affecting different locations, wherever I am, in the physical way, spirit way, and so forth? Question? Uh, here we go. The experience in the dream state of flying yep. is that the spirit body flying, isn't that's, it? That's the spirit body flying. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. And the spirit body is totally capable of flying even in your awake state, by the way. Yeah. So I, I know some farmers who check, their, who check their fences by going to lay down and get into a meditative state and they let their spirit body step out of their physical body and they actually go the entire perimeter, hover over the entire perimeter of their fence line, notice where the break is or if there's a break anywhere and then they just drive straight to that location and fix it up. So you can do that, right? Because your spirit body is not is not controlled by the physical law. So you can actually do that in a conscious way. Right? Many of us don't know how to do it, but we can actually do it in a conscious way. Does that make sense with what's going on with the different with the different bodies? Alright, so all of these laws, Nina, just So in our awake state can we be impacted by another person's spirit body in their awake state? I'm assuming that when we sleep, the spirit body could maybe attack or pray or help another. But if I'm awake and you're awake, would our spirit bodies, and in another location, would they affect another person? Certainly they can, yeah. Certainly. In fact, it happens all the time through the law of attraction. Bear in mind that the soul, the spirit body state, the material body state, we at the moment feel that there are huge separations between those states. Does that make sense? Most of the time, most of us feel that way. The actual truth is that from God's perspective, there is no separation between these states. Right? It's just a matter of learning the laws that govern the states and straight away you know how to utilize them. And so this is why there's many spirit overcloaking people on earth who are in a natural love path and they're actually showing people how to break a lot of those how to actually utilize, if you like, a lot of the spirit body laws and overcome a lot of the physical body laws through their actions. So this is why you get so gurus in India who can 
who can telepathically talk to another person, for example. All they're doing is using this spirit body communication part that can be used at any time by any of you. Right? Many of them can manifest a physical thing. Like you've heard of them pulling out of their pocket like a diamond ring or a you know gold coin or whatever. What's going on there? Besides it not being, in, I mean, not in their pocket originally, and they've just manifested it. Like you've heard rumours of all of those kind of things. Some of you have even heard that there's there's been over 150 recorded cases on Earth of people actually levitating. Right. So so how did that happen? Something must be going on, right? There must be some kind of thing to do with law that's going on. So in every case, we have a set of laws governing the different parts of our existence. The first set of laws that govern the physical part of our existence, and when I say physical, I don't mean that it doesn't govern our spirit body. What I mean is there's this group of laws that are physical or metaphysical in nature that govern the operation of the physical universe in all of its dimensions. So I've been saying to you that there's over 22 dimensions in existence in the universe and there's physical laws that govern every one of those dimensions. Does that make sense? And I would classify them as a group of laws called physical or metaphysical laws. Does everyone follow me with that? So gravity falls into that category. Aerodynamics falls into that category. Photosynthesis falls into that category. Electromagnetism falls into that category. Does that make sense? These are all physical laws that govern the operation of physical things in our universe. Every one of those is a law that mankind can discover, and many of them we have discovered, and many of them you now utilize every single day of your life. Uh, many of you use electricity every single day of your life, do you not? So that's a law that's been discovered that you now utilize all the time. And yet, hundreds of years ago, it was a very... Like it wasn't widely known at all, and it, you go a thousand years ago, and it was just an imagine, imagination for some people that it would actually occur. But it was an actual law that eventually we discovered as a human race, and then now we get to the stage where we utilize it every day. The law of aerodynamics is the same, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like hundreds of years ago, it was just a dream. You know, you have a certain people who were, you know, ballooning or whatever, who were who were doing the up in the air thing, and then a thousand years ago, that wasn't happening so much at all. Right, And so when you add all that together, now what we're doing is we go up and down, up and down, up and down all the time, up in the air, fly to a new location, down, and, and it's like second nature to us in most cases. So can you see how once we discover law, it becomes so easy for us to reuse it over and over again. But all of those laws, we'd classify them all as, the ones that I've just mentioned, all as physical laws, the physical laws that, that govern the universe. And you know what? Most of us are the most fascinated with those laws. If I could just manifest a gold coin right in my hand in front of you, all of you would be very impressed, wouldn't you? We'd think you were Jesus. If I could just walk on water, you'd be impressed. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't make, take much to convince somebody, does it? All you've got to do is that one thing. You, you could have all these other things wrong in your life, but as long as you could do that one thing, everyone would be very impressed. Is that not the case? You see, the problem is we are all so impressed with someone who's able to seemingly transcend the physical laws, but actually all they're doing is utilizing them. We're so impressed with them 
because we don't understand that there's a whole set of laws that are much greater, much more powerful, and in fact, from God's perspective, much more beautiful than the ones we're looking at. So many of us have become addicted to, to listening to people who are, who are able to transcend the physical laws or are able, I would say, to utilize the physical laws to demonstrate truths to you. Right? And you think of all the different spiritual paths that you've been interested in in the past, how many times were you originally attracted to it because of something physical? If we're honest with ourselves, we'll see that it's quite often right? that we've been attracted to it because of something physical. Not because of the next set of laws, but because of something going on physically. And this is where almost every like Indian guru who can do these kind of things. And by the way, they themselves personally can't necessarily do those things because they're often overcloaked by a spirit compo almost completely in their life who can do those things through them, using their ectoplasm to do these things. But anyway, it appears like they're doing it. But we're so addicted to looking at that and thinking, wow, that means they must have a lot of truth for me to listen to. Does that make sense? We're automatically attracted to that kind of event. Because so many of us, are, we don't know even the physical laws, so we so become so fascinated with the fact that they can be utilized in different ways that we're not aware of. In the future, what will happen, these physical laws will become more and more widely known. And many of the so-called forms of energy that you have today will not be used anymore. There will be a whole new groups of forms of energy. There are there is five new groups of forms of energy that scientists have defined right at this point of point in time related to quantum physics that they have no idea how they work at all. Right? And you can investigate these things on somewhere like the net or something like that if you want. And there's no dollars being thrown at it because what does man do? We throw dollars at things that are going to earn us dollars, <laughs> in profits, right? And so there's no dollars being thrown at it because it might take 10 years, 50 years or whatever for man to use his normal way of investigating these things. And so there's no dollars thrown at it and instead what we do is the governments throw billions of dollars at things they feel will probably work. But there's these whole groups of laws in a scientific and physical perspective that mankind is yet to discover at all. So that in itself is pretty light. Don't you think it's exciting? Like, imagine what kind of laws they might be. And if we start using our imagination, we might, and this is how most of us have come to even fly, is because somebody did use their imagination. Right? And in fact, imagination is a key way of connecting to other people in the spirit world who know about these laws and can give us those laws. Does that make sense? So we'll talk about some of that at a later time. But everyone understands at this point, we've got this whole group of physical laws. They are the laws generally that we're most fascinated about. So you love reading, many of you love reading about, oh, this fantastic thing that happened by this person and wasn't it amazing what he could do, isn't it, isn't it fantastic? And we often go into that. We're not really interested in the person's emotional condition. We're not really interested in how much love the person has, but we're actually fascinated with what the person can do. Right? If you're honest with yourselves, you can see that that's the case. So that's a group of physical laws. From God's perspective, the physical laws are the lowest laws of creation. 
Does that make sense? They are the laws that have, from God's perspective, the least impact upon you. From our perspective, we think we have, they have the most impact upon us. But from God's perspective, they actually have the least impact upon us. Because there's a next set of laws, another set of laws. So we rub out the material body now. The next set of laws operate upon... Remember, the spirit body is really just a material body, isn't it? But it's a material body for the spirit world. So then they say the laws don't operate upon that body. Either. The next set of laws operate only upon the soul. And this is where there's a lot of confusion now with our spirit friends who are in the first sphere and that, who have come today because they thought that this whole new group of laws would actually operate upon the spirit body. The reason why they thought that was because they can see the brightness of the spirit body. And in seeing the brightness of the spirit body, they then deduct from that that obviously that person is in a different place. And so they start thinking that the soul is the spirit body. Right? And so the majority, if you think of a majority of things that you've learned from a metaphysical point of view with regard to progression, so many of you who've been doing things like New Age philosophy or other types of philosophy, there's been a fair bit of focus on the spirit body in that process, right? But, but the spirit body just reflects the condition of the soul. So here's our soul, here's our spirit body. In, our, in the spirit world, and even when you're in your sleep state, your spirit body, and even right now, you're sitting here, your spirit body reflects moment by moment what's going on inside of your soul. Now, who's been to do some spiritual healing where, you know, you lay on a table and somebody works on your chakras type thing? How many of you have done that? Well, quite a lot, right? Okay. So, so you lay on the, on the, body, on the uh, table usually, right? And somebody works on the different chakra energy points of the seven chakras that are in your body. Now what they do is they work on it a certain way and it opens it all up. And maybe a bit of emotion dribbles out for you uh, in the process, right? So they open it all up and they get them all working properly and even you can see it with a pendulum. How many of you have, have had the person show you with a pendulum that, that's now actually open, right? So, so a number. So you see this pendulum rotating even a clockwise direction around that chakra when the chakra is open. Now, you go back next week and that chakra is closed again. So the person does the same thing again. Does their work on the chakra, opens it up again, a little bit of a jewel emotion comes out sometimes, and, and we go through the same process. Does that make sense? And what's actually happening is there are laws that govern all of that process, but they're all to do with the soul. You see, if there's not a change in the soul, that chakra is going to close again. If there's not a change in the soul, and this is why most spiritual healing forms, as practiced today, if they're not focusing on soul emotions, are not actually accomplishing much. Um, hey, can we go through a microphone? Thanks. Always the microphone. Um, I'm just a little bit confused with the spirit body. Is yep. it? A, is it? Does it? Is it like um, an orb of colour, or is it an actual ghost? Like, is that what a ghost is, or? I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> yep, no worries. And the spirit body, and in fact all forms of energy give off colours. 
So the spirit body gives off what's called an aura, right, or, or a group of colors. Um, if the, if the spirit body is in a poor condition, it'll, it'll not give us off a strong aura, or its aura will be damaged in some way. So there'll be holes in it and different. And a person who can see an aura will see these different things, shapes and colors, inside the spirit form. But, but that's not the spirit body itself. The spirit body itself has organs, just like your body. They're in a different dimensional space. And sometimes some of you will even notice the organ operating. Like the spirit body has a heart, for example. And so sometimes, I don't know if you've ever gone into a meditative state and felt the beating of your own heart, the thing going on, and then, and then you've gone into a deeper meditation state, right? And what's happened then? You start feeling this type. Some of you would have started feeling this really high velocity beating going on in the same location as your heart, which is actually your spirit body's heart. Does that make sense? It's actually an organ in your spirit body. Your spirit body has organs. Um, microphone. <laughs> Uh, my name is Dr. George Dangel. I'm uh, one of the very few birds in this world. I'm a, a, master, a master pranic healer. Yes. I teach all over the world, and <clears throat> some of the things you've told me quite impressed me. But uh, if I'm going to correct you, there's 360 chakras in the body. And there's sorry? 360 chakras in the body. Oh, there's actually more than that. But, but no, there's not. No, there is actually. No. <laughs> I'm sorry to disagree with you, but there is. Um, well, I must be wrong because I just talked to 4,000 people in Hamburg. Yeah, um, can I just <coughs> say, say why? There's, okay. in, the, in the spirit form, all the different things, that, all the different communications that come from the spirit world and also most of the stuff that's investigated here on earth is investigated on the natural love path. And the natural love path, you are correct. On the natural love path, the body, the spirit body has 360, as you mentioned. But on the divine love path, the divine love actually path actually transfers the soul and it changes the way the soul operates and it also changes the number of chakras in the spirit form. Mm -hmm. And so you actually have chakras, different chakras merging and growing and changing based on the changes of the soul. But this is not something that's been investigated on earth at all. Okay, uh, another thing is there are seven bodies. Uh, um, the soul... No, can I correct you again? Yeah, Sorry. And um, I know this is a, this is all very, um, what you're discussing now is metaphysics. And metaphysics all come under this banner of physical laws. There are different layers of our spirit body, but they are the one body. Uh, I must correct you there. Due to the fact. <laughs> well, that, you and I can dis yes, disagree. Okay. But um, the, the, for instance, the, uh, I can't work it out, you say the spirit body, but it's the etheric body we work upon. No, I see the etheric body is no, part let, of the let spirit me finish. body. Let me finish. The spiritual body is the soul body. And if you want to know the format of the soul, okay, it's the, uh, a quantum theory called uh, the mega uh, microcosm is equal to the macrocosm. All there is of one is one of all. I am that I am. Okay, can, this can is I, the law. Can I stop you for a moment? Yes. People did come here to listen to me. Yes, Not to listen to you, for a start. Secondly, can I just address the issue from, a, from an emotional perspective? Mm -hmm. What's going on inside of most people today is that they want to understand everything from an intellectual, physical perspective. 
Now the problem with doing that, understanding all of these things from an intellectual physical perspective, is you'll only discover certain things. And what man has discovered is you're correct in what man has so, so far discovered. But there's a whole group of things that man has yet to discover. And that's what I want to talk about today. When I talk about the soul, I am not talking about anything to do with the spirit body at all. Mm -hmm. The spirit body's layers, which you've described, are all a part of the metaphysics that define the spirit body, but they have nothing to do with the soul. The soul, the terminology soul, comes from a lot of six-sphere spirits thinking that the spirit form at a certain layer is the soul. But in reality, that is not true. And we can talk about that and argue about that, but all we'd be doing is arguing about divine love principles compared to natural love principles. You are right on the natural love principle side of things. Everything you're talking about is correct. But there is this whole other set of things going on at the soul level, which is a totally different creation to any of the things that have been discovered with regard to the body. Unfortunately, what happens today is many people use the same terminology for different things. So when we start talking about the soul, what starts happening is we start referring to many spirits in the spirit world, right up to the sixth sphere, by the way, which is where all this information is coming from, are actually referring to things in the spirit body thinking they're talking about the soul. So there are so many sixth sphere spirits here today who are thinking that when I talk about the soul, I'm talking about what you're referring to. But actually, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about some other part of you which has control of the th these things that you, you're referring to as the soul. Does that make sense? So it's very important to, to actually maintain a separation between, if you like, the concepts of what's being discussed. So when I'm talking about the soul, and this is very important for everyone to understand, I'm not talking about what you've read about in metaphysical literature about the multi-layered thing, the multi-layered con construction of the, of the spirit body. I'm actually talking about something completely different. And, and in fact, at some point in the future, in your future, you will actually connect to only that thing and these other bodies will not even exist for you. Now there is currently no spirit in the six-sphere state who has that, who, who are in that state because you can't actually get into that state in the six-sphere. So does everyone understand that a lot of what you've heard terminology-wise is not the terminology that I'm using here? Right? When I'm talking about the word soul, I'm not talking about any of the etheric layers or any of the emotional body layers or any other layer of the spirit body, even right down to what is defined as, by metaphysicians, the actual soul level state of the spirit body. None of those things are what I'm referring to when I'm talking about the soul. The soul is a completely different creation of God of which you truly are and your body is just a manifestation of that state. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. And that's where I'm coming from here. So, when you see literature talk about the etheric layers of the bodies or the other layers of these bodies, they're actually referring to what's going on at the spirit body state. They're not referring to what's going on at the soul state. And in reality, and this is the beauty of what God has created, in reality, what's going on at the soul state is much more simple and easy to understand than what's actually happening in the spirit body and in the physical bodies. So in other words, when you understand the soul, you will actually go through this process of letting go of all of these intellectual definitions of what's going on at these states. And in fact, 
when you fully connect with your own soul, you will find that this state and this state become almost something you never consider again. Because you know that these, all of these different states that can occur all happen at a different layer that you were not previously aware of that you will become aware of. So for any of you who are healers or any of you who are doing spirit body work, understand that almost all the information that you've received about it all relates to this body and its construction, which go from organs right the way through to different layers of energy and different layers of emotional experiences that are all part of that destruction, construction. But they are all actually the they are all actually the soul have the soul as its controlling force. And so when I talk about the soul, I'm not talking about this, anything that you've read today in any metaphysical book. Does that make sense to everyone? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the truth is though with sharpers, certainly there are a lot more. There are seven primary ones, obviously, that most people work with, that most people have heard of. Uh, but in reality, what happens also with the spirit body is when this soul develops above the sixth sphere, all of these energy points also start changing. And so spirits see them as different creatures. And I've actually spoken with many spirits who actually believe that a person from the celestial spheres is actually a different type of soul than a person that's in the sixth sphere or under because they don't understand how the people got to where they are. And by the way, they were just, they're not different types of soul. They're the same type of soul experiencing a different process, which is the divine love process, which we've been talking about. But does that make sense to everyone, what's, what I'm referring to? Now, I'm sorry to, because there's a lot of material I need to cover today, so I need to, to, to keep moving on. But the physical, is something we've already discovered. By physical, I'm talking about all of those things you've mentioned, all of the metaphysical things as well. That's all physical to me. That's also all physical to God, in the sense that everything that's going on in those bodies, everything that's going on in the universe around you energetically is all part of the physical universe. I don't mean just the material that you can see and touch when I'm talking about the physical. Alright, the next layer And this is the next layer that we have most trouble with. The moral layer. Now the moral layer, I'm just going to get a drink. The moral layer is a completely new layer, if you like, of laws that we need to discuss. These all operate upon the soul. So the physical operates all upon the physical operation of the universe, right down to adamantine particles, right the way through. The moral stuff operates upon this structure of the soul, which is totally different, and, and it governs, in fact, where you arrive in the spirit world. So, most of, this is where most people on earth have lots of trouble because we don't like to hear about morals. But ironically, it's also where most religions have gone. Can you see that? 
you look at the, for instance, most of the religions on earth, they all have moral tenets or moral laws, if you like, that they tell to their adherents. Like, you've all heard of the law from the Bible, you must not murder. That is a moral law. If you murder, there will be an effect upon your soul. Right? There's, a, there's a moral law that, that you must love. So if you don't love, there will actually be an effect on your soul. There's a moral law about sexuality. Lots of different moral laws governing sexuality. And if you engage in sexuality in sex without love, there will be an effect upon your soul. This group of laws is the law, the group of laws that the majority do not want to know anything about <laughs> because we don't like the whole concept of our lives being governed by morality most of the time. Now, if we allow ourselves to feel our emotions, we often do like the concept of morality. But intellectually, and often with our emotional damage, we don't like the concept of morality. But it's those groups of laws, which in the pageant messages and in everything that I'm writing about, is I would call the laws of natural love. Right, so there's a whole group of laws, the laws of natural love. They operate upon the soul. They change the consistency of the soul. If you break those laws, the soul itself's energy degrades. And not only that, you will feel it emotionally. So it's not just a metaphysical operation that occurs. It's an emotional operation that occurs. Does everyone understand the difference? So if I break a physical law, what happens? Like if I break the law of gravity and I jump off a building, I get damage to my <coughs> excuse me, physical body. Um, but I may not, if I was pushed, or I may have a group of emotions associated with it. If it was an accident, I may have another group of emotions associated with it. But the actual operation of me just falling off a building and going kaput and actually separating from my physical and spirit bodies, the actual operation of that, what does that do? Nothing emotionally unless I have some emotional experiences attached to it. Right? With all of these laws, these moral laws or the laws of natural love, they operate upon the soul, they all have an effect on our passions, desires, longings, emotions. They all have an effect, some kind of emotional effect on us. Does that make sense? Not just a physical effect, they have an emotional effect. They affect what's going on inside of us emotionally, inside of our soul, which is the real you. They affect what's going on there. The reason why I've called them moral laws is because oftentimes they are affected deeply by morality. But they're not just including moral laws. There are laws about positive things about love as well that are all part of the operation of this group of laws. You could call them the next highest group of laws. So once you understand that highest group of laws, you'll automatically do a lot of the things that are underneath that. That doesn't mean that you know everything at this point, but it means that you understand how God made the universe in terms of how it affects your soul. You see, most people when they pass over have no idea why
stuff past into the first sphere or into one of the hells of the, of the spirit world. They have no idea. And the reason why they have no idea is because they, they've only understood the physical laws of God, but they've never understood any of these moral laws. They've never really gotten any of that. Does that make sense? Or they've broken those laws in some way. And many people who are religious, by the way, have broken them. So, for example, you know, there was, you've heard that there's a law you must not murder. But you've also heard that if you feel like murdering somebody, you've already done it. Right? In other words, just the feeling like you wanted to murder is in fact the breaking of a law. Right? A breaking of a moral law. It's a law of the soul that affects the soul and it will affect where you go. So let's say you had some damaging things happen when you're on the earth by a certain person. Let's say that person was your father who sexually abused you. When your father passes, he will obviously have a lot of soul damage because he's broken a lot of moral laws. Does that make sense? So you have a lot of soul damage. But when you pass, if you have held on to the anger about all those events, there's a high likelihood that you'll have a lot of very dark emotions about what damage you would like to do to him in return. So you might have emotions of vengeance in you, for example, right? wanting to take revenge. Well, that causes your own soul condition to degrade. And while you may not pass into the same location that he passed, because he's actually done more damage than that, you may pass still into the first sphere, holding on to that emotion. Does that make sense? Because you're holding on to the emotion that actually breaks some of these laws yourself. So one time we were talking with a group of uh, spirits who were passing the spirit world in Barbados, who were in the spirit world as, as slaves. They were still living as slaves. So they were on earth, they were slaves, and when they passed over into the spirit world, they still thought themselves to be slaves. And they couldn't understand why their condition, why they were in a location that resembled some of the locations that they'd actually lived in, in terms of experience, as what they'd lived on on Earth. They only began to understand it once we started relating to them how they had this emotion of vengeance in them, how they wanted to take revenge upon the people who had harmed them. Now once they released that emotion of vengeance and connected to some sadness, their condition grew almost instantly from that location to a new location. You can shift your soul condition very rapidly. And you can do that in the spirit world. So when you get to a spirit world, most spirits feel that they are locked into that place. And there are two reasons why they feel that way. One is because most Christian-based religions have taught them that when you pass over, you either go to heaven or hell. And if you feel like you're in hell, what are the, what are the, what's the other thing the Christian religion teaches you? You're stuck there. You can't get out of it. So that's one reason. Another reason why they feel it is on the, on the Eastern philosophies, there's this viewpoint that once you arrive in the spirit world and you do your life review, that you have to come back to earth again and work through the karma. Does that make sense? So there's literally millions and millions and millions of spirits in dark places on the, in the spirit world trying to get back bodies on the earth in order to work through their karma, which has actually locked them in a position. 
None of those spirits need to be where they are. They can all progress right where they are in the spirit world. They do not need to come to earth at all to progress. But because of the belief systems that we've carried on here on earth, they believe they either have to reincarnate or they believe they have to either be consigned to hell, fire, or there's no fire they know, but it feels torturous. And they feel they have to be consigned to that forever. Carol, thanks. If we can have a mic. If you um, break a law, like say the law of murder, for instance, if you're getting into an angry state because you're trying to release emotion uh -huh. and you feel like you want to kill somebody in that, is that, I mean, where does that fit with, with um, do we sort of pull ourselves up, don't go there, I'm going to kill that guy or something? Remember, I've, I've answered this question before, but uh, just to describe to you, even if an emotion, if an emotion is denied inside of you but exists, that is it at, at its worst place. So let's say I have a murderous emotion towards my dad because of what he's done. While I deny that emotion within me, I am actually in the worst soul condition. The instant I actually even acknowledge intellectually that I have this emotion in me, I'm automatically in a better condition. And the instant that I actually allow myself to feel that emotion, I'm automatically in a better condition again. As long as I'm feeling it in a way that's not harming others. Right? So if I'm just feeling my anger and frustration and rage about what's been done to me, then I'm now in a better state. But if I'm feeling my anger and frustration and rage and wanting to punch my father in the face, now I'm in a different place. I'm now in a denial place of my own emotion. Does that make sense? Then if I go into a deeper state of even feeling the sadness I feel, I'm even in a better state again. And then as I go down into the emotion and eventually get to the core emotion and release it, now I'm in the release place of the emotion. In other words, the emotion has left me completely and I'm in the best possible state with regard to that emotion. So it's going to be a gradual change as I work my way through these different realization states with regard to the emotion. Don't think that if you have an emotion within you that your best course of action is to avoid it. Because actually it's your worst course of action. Your worst course of action, if, if, you, if, you, if you're thinking that the best way is to step over it somehow emotionally or to make yourself feel better through meditation or something, it's actually your worst course of action, your worst possible course of action. The reason why it's your worst possible course of action is because your soul isn't changing. And if your soul doesn't change, and the only way it can change is by emotions of ever rele re being released from it. If your soul doesn't change, then what's the point of the action? There's really no point of the action. Does that make sense? So if I've got a feeling or an emotion inside of me of hatred towards another person, just the step of acknowledging it actually puts me in a better condition. And the step of actually starting to allow myself to feel it and feel what's underneath it puts me even in a better condition. And once I've completely released it and get into a state of love with the person, now I'm in the best possible condition with regard to that emotion. And if we can keep that in mind. Now, the problem with morals, or the problem with the laws of natural love, is that when we pass into the spirit world, it normally takes a few spheres of progression before we start realizing that they exist, these laws. And the problem for that, what that means is, that for the majority of spirits who pass, they pass into the like dark areas of the first sphere, not understanding how to get out of it at all, 
and not understanding why they're even there, which is a very, very sad fact, unfortunately. Now, there's literally millions and millions of people trying to tell the truth to them as to why they're there, but because of all of these beliefs that we've picked up on earth, we often are so locked in emotionally that we can't accept what we're being told. One thing for all the spirits who are here that they need to bear in mind is that if a person is in a brighter spirit body condition than yourself, then they know some things about life that you don't know. Simple as that. And it's worth listening to them. And the people that are in the brightest condition are the people worth listening to the most. Does that make sense? And in fact, if the persons are in the brightest condition and on the divine love path, they are the ones that are really worth listening to because they will show you and they can show you how to progress the most rapidly than all other spirits can show you. And that's the difference between your progression. So most of us, because we've broken laws of natural love on earth, there's certain emotions that are within our soul now as a part of the penalties of breaking these laws. Does everyone understand that? We'll talk about why that occurs. Now, as these penalties are imposed upon the soul, the soul condition degrades, which causes the spirit body's look to degrade. Many of you have heard of spirit bodies looking like, like lizards and reptiles and whatever. Many of you have heard of that? All of the spirits who look like that are actually in very poor conditions. So if you're a medium and you're connecting to spirits looking like that, you are connecting to spirits who are in very poor condition. Because the persons that are in the best condition look like a perfect 21-year-old person here on earth with no flaws and are very, very bright in their condition. And they're in the most loving space. Um, if you can wait for the microphone, you can ask anything you want. <laughs> Can't you choose? Put it right up. Uh, can't you choose not to draw those people to? And this is something that's often misunderstood too on Earth. There's this idea that somehow we can choose what kind of spirits are attracted to us to talk to. In reality, what's making the choice is our soul. Yeah. So it's the soul's emotions that will attract it. So let's say I have an emotion inside of me of powerlessness. I'm going to attract spirits who want to abuse my power. Right, yeah. And so I'll, it doesn't matter how much I intellectually say, don't you come, Right? what will happen is that these spirits will come because of the law of attraction. Now, usually our spirit guides are trying to prevent them from having some influence on us, yeah. but our spirit guides can't break the law of God either. So they can only prevent it as long as they themselves are not breaking God's laws doing the prevention. Yes, but years ago, mm -hmm. I had troubled people coming to me. Yep. Um, I have no fear of anything like that, yep. and I did it willingly and lovingly, feeling very confident that uh, I could handle whatever came my way. Yes. Okay, and then I gradually started to feel that that is no longer a path I wanted to take. Right. So gradually that went I, that stopped happening. I no longer had those people coming into my life. That's because your law of desire changed. Your desire changes, and as your desire changes, that will attract whole different types of people yeah, coming well, into your life. But so, it, for me, that's like 
a choice I made at soul level that I no longer wanted to do that. But it wasn't an intellectual choice. No. It was actually an emotional choice. But the more you get into love, yeah. the less it is intellectual because it becomes, for me, just a knowing. Yeah, but can I put forward something to you? One of the, one of the most powerful things you can ever do is, is help a person in the worst condition. Yes, but you can't if it's if they're doing it, and I what I felt they were doing it to show that they could do it. I just think they were manifesting all this weirdness and possession and all this stuff. Yep. And for me, it I don't think they wanted help. I think they were just trying to show that they could do it. Well, under some circumstances, that would be the case. They wouldn't want help. But there's obviously a lot of people who are have a very heavily spirit possessed or obsessed that do want assistance, but they have no idea why they've got the obsession. And mm -hmm. if a person can help that person, that's displaying a lot of love to them. Yeah, you can give a lot of love without drawing that one. No, but see, you're worried about being influenced in some way by it. <laughs> no. Well, why would you then stop doing it? Because I found that I can do more helping people on a level of prayer and uh, without having a lot of contact. I've become more as I've grown older. I can do, um, I don't want to influence people, but I find I can do much more with prayer, uh, prayer, if you want to call it that, um, than you do in a one-to-one. -one. You can do it within, and that's where I feel very drawn, and I find it very, um, more loved that way, you know. Well, that, that's fine for what you were saying for yourself, but I'm saying to you that there's this whole other area of your life that you can actually change into as well, where you where you will not be selective about who you're helping at all, and you will feel a lot more love because and you you'll have a lot more love than even you have right now yeah. for those ones. And so what I'm suggesting is, at the moment, you made some decisions at the soul level based on laws of natural love, but God, there's some laws of divine love actually that have that the process has drawn you away from. And what I'm suggesting is that when you're in the space of actually learning those laws, you may be redrawn back into actually helping a lot of these ones, but in a different way. Do, do you follow me? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, key, the key thing to bear in mind with a lot of these discussions is that, you see, for most of us who are mediumistic or, or healers or something like that, we are drawn down certain paths of, uh, of uh, our life in order to learn a lot of personal lessons within ourselves. So one of the personal lessons you would have learnt within yourself was this law of love of self, for example. Am I being loving to myself, helping a person does, that doesn't seem to really want help? Well, obviously not. So, so you work your way through that law of love of self for yourself. But there is, there's a whole other set of laws, which we'll talk about in a minute, that you will have perfect love of self, but actually want to help any person and be actually in the position to be able to help any person more powerfully through the reflection of divine love in, in your soul rather than the reflection of the natural love which is coming from yourself. And uh, it needs to be a microphone if you're going to speak. <laughs> I walked away from, um, how can I say it, being involved uh, like this Yep. a few years ago. Yep. And... Um, I think a lot of times the people I met on the path, great people, but very much into their ego of 
they can, they're what they're doing. Yep. I found that a little bit hard and I didn't want to go down that path. Of course. And because yeah, that's not loving. So I, I kind of stepped back yep. and have been following fairly strong my own spiritual path. Awesome. And, uh, but I don't want to get into that. Um, I don't want to be a guru and I don't want people camping on my doorstep. I just like to do it quietly in the background. Well, that, that's an emotion inside of you, by the way. Yeah. Um, the truth is that when you get into a state where um, you're connecting with God fully at, a, at the one-minute state, nobody in that state thinks of themselves as a guru for a start. Well, you see that, though. I, in all the years I was doing Yeah, but, but if they think they're a guru, they're not in that state. Yes, I know, but that's what they put over. I know, but if they put that over, they're, they're not in that state. Yeah, well, the I reality, know that. Yeah, yeah, you know that, and I know that. The re we've got to talk about realities, not what they yeah. think. So they, they might think they're in that state, but they're not. Does that make sense? Yeah, I do. And but that's why, I guess, for me, I'm listening to you, um, thing, it's like some of those things for me is like you go, you fall off a log and think, oh, my gosh, it was that easy, and I struggled so hard and so long. Yep. But I've done that with very quiet reflection and growth in yep. a different way. Yep. It, just a different way. That but what I'm suggesting is the new changes you will make, and I feel you will make them, will actually step you into a totally different place which other people will see you as perhaps a guru, right? You won't ever feel yourself to be that way at all. And and lots of people will be attracted to you because they want to hear the truth, but you'll just have normal, down-to-earth, day-to-day interactions with everyone around you. Well, that Does that make sense? Fine. And that is actually, when you get to an alignment condition with God, you don't set yourself up as a guru. What happens is people just invite you to do things because they want to hear you know what I mean? Yeah. About the divine truth. And in fact, it, what you'll find is that a lot of the people who have set themselves up as gurus want to tell their truth. When, once, you, once you go through this transition into divine love, what will happen is you'll just reflect God's truth to everyone. Is that? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it would be a different state. And some of the worries you have about that state, one of the worries is I'm going to be bombarded with people who want my, mm. who want my help actually is an emotional injury that you have within you about that. So if you can allow yourself to work your way through that injury, and when you when you trust God completely, you won't feel that injury anymore. Does that make yeah. sense? So just allow yourself to allow these transitional changes to occur towards the divine love path, and then what will happen is that you'll find that any injuries that block you towards it at the moment will actually will all be free just like you have experienced in the past with the progression on the natural love path. You've had that experience where you've learned about love of self, for example. Yeah. So getting back to topic though, it's the emotions, desires, passions of the soul that determine and are determined by this moral, these moral things that we do. And the, or the laws of natural love, I would call them. Right? Now later, what we're going to do is we're going to talk lots and lots and lots about the laws of natural love. So the next three discussions, actually, tomorrow there'll be the law about laws about governing the love of others. Uh, the next session, two weeks' time, will be laws about governing the love of self, like what you would, what kind of laws govern the love of self issue, and then. We'll talk about human relationships, having a relationship with a partner. In other words, how these natural love laws affect our interaction with our partner and what's going on with our partner, how we can actually be assisted in our development together 
in a relationship. But none of those laws are as highly important as the next group of laws. The next group of laws also impact upon the soul. So they impact upon this part of you. But they are about the transition of the soul from the human soul into the divine soul. Right? This next group of laws. So if you could think of, here's your soul as it is now, and then there's this other creature that your soul can become. A totally different creature. Right? We would call this the human soul. In other words, that was the soul with which you're being created. Every single person who's ever existed on earth has had that type of soul. Every single person on this, with this type of soul can have this transformation of process occur to go into this, what I would classify as a divine soul. Right? The process I have to call before in our discussions the new birth. Right? Or being born again. Does that make sense? So there's this process that transforms the average human soul into this completely different creature. This process makes the transformation between the human and the divine only occurs through the operation of a whole group of laws. The whole group of laws are called the laws of what do you reckon it might be? Laws of divine love. Ironically, the laws of divine love are the simplest laws to understand in the universe. You see, the physical laws are the most complicated to understand in the universe, then the spiritual or moral laws are the next least complicated, and in fact the laws of divine love are the easiest thing you can understand. So it's actually the opposite way that everything really works, right? So that's cool, isn't it? The way, the way that God's made it is that this group of laws a child can understand. Which makes sense when you think about it, doesn't it? Why give a group, like, why make a universe that everything is so complicated that a child can't understand it? The truth is, at this stage, you can, these laws are so simple in their nature that the majority of spirits in the sixth sphere of the spirit world and the majority of intellectual people on earth rebel completely against even attempting to understand them because they're too simple for them. And can you see one quality that requires to understand this group of laws? Humility. <laughs> because, you know, oftentimes what we want is to have a complicated group of laws that only I can understand and then I'm fantastic. <laughs> right? And then if we take that one step further, you're not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you don't understand them. This group of laws is so basic that a child can understand them. And that's why all of us need to become as little children. One of the reasons why we need to become as little children to enter the kingdom of God. Or actually, in the kingdom of God is this process of this new birth. The transformation of the soul from the human soul into the divine. Right? And it's understanding this group of laws that actually causes this transformation process. This space here and you feel you want to teleport, you will teleport. You won't have to understand how teleportation works. Does that make sense? Because you'll just have a feeling, oh, oh, I just want to go there. And 
Now, you think about all the spiritual literature you've talked, you've read. You know, some of you have read the Life in the World Unseen, yeah, and some have read like these other books about the spirit world life. One of the things that uh, some of these books talk about is you can be standing here, have a desire to be over there, and then all of a sudden you're there. Does that make sense? They all talk about that kind of thing happening. Well, that's because in the spirit world it's a lot easier to move from one place to another, right? But when you understand the laws of divine love, you'll be able to do all of those kind of things without understanding them. <laughs> you'll just be able to utilize them all. In other words, you basically understand them all without needing to intellectually understand them. Imagine picking up a musical instrument like some child prodigies do, right? And then all of a sudden go, and away you go, right? That's what it's like. Exactly like that. Like August Rush. Like August Rush. Yeah, you've seen that movie where the little boy just gets any musical instrument and away he goes. It's an amazing movie, isn't it? And, and yeah, exactly like that. A person connecting to their soul will start to be able to express themselves instantly in all these different forms. So, so at the moment, you know, what a lot of times we're doing is we're using our mind to do things, right? So, for example, how many of you have learnt to draw or paint? Yeah? How many of you had to go to a lessons to learn to draw or paint? Yeah? We initially, often we do, don't we? We go to lessons and we learn to, because we have a desire but we don't know how to do it. So we, well, the truth is you won't need to do that in this state. You will automatically be able to express what's going on. How many of you have learnt a musical instrument? Huh? How many of you didn't pick up the musical instrument and away you went? <laughs> Most of us, right? Because we were learning it through our intellect, right? When we're learning things through this transformed soul, none of those things occur. Do you follow me? You start learning in a totally different way. Now this transformation occurs between the seventh and the eighth spheres of the spirit world. So all of the spirits who are here, it's that transformation that occurs between that. But it can be begun at any location in the spirit world or on earth. So I can be in the depths of what you would term the hells or the depths of darkness in the spirit world and I can actually make this transition through understanding the laws of divine love and a bit of time, understand how to make this transition at the most rapid pace possible. So these laws of divine love are very, very powerful laws. They transform the soul into a new creature. In fact, Six fear spirits see this soul as a different soul to their own. They actually think that God created two types of souls. Right? One is which their own is and then this other creature. There are pageant messages that talk about these souls flitting from sphere to sphere so God mustn't care about them very much because they can go anywhere they want. Right? There's some pageant messages about that and that is true. The truth is that these souls in this state because the laws of divine love are the highest in hierarchy, it means that they're free. They can transcend all other laws by invoking these laws of love. When you're in this state, you'll be able to heal instantly anything, as long as the law is satisfied. When I say as long as the law is satisfied, the person who you're healing needs to satisfy a certain law. Right? But it's part of this law of divine love. And you will actually be able to release your emotions much more rapidly. 
using this law. Because there's a law called the law of repentance, which is a part of the law of divine love, right? which actually governs what emotions you have or are harbouring towards others. And you can actually work your way through those laws and automatically have this feeling of grace or forgiveness through the laws of divine love. Now, on earth today, there are a lot of six-fear spirits or, and a lot of spiritual forms of spiritual progression that have heard intellectually about these laws. So you've heard the term Christ consciousness, right? Well, everyone who coins that term generally doesn't really understand what it means. Because Christ consciousness is about some of these laws that most people do not understand. Right? You've heard the term um, becoming enlightened. Right? Well, what most people are discussing there when they are a six-fear spirit is the process of getting to the sixth fear. They're not actually talking about this transformation of the soul. The transformation of the soul is a totally different process. You've heard of that Christian term, being born again. Well, yes, that is a part of this process of the laws of divine love, but not in the way the average Christian understands it. Because the average Christian understands that it's because of my death that created the event for them. In other words, Jesus dying for their sins causes, and their belief in that causes them to be born again. That's not true. So there's a basic untruth in that. But the whole viewpoint of being born again is true. You are being transformed into a new creature. Does everyone make sense of what's happening there? So, with these viewpoints or these laws, there is a lot of misconceived information on earth about those laws. They are a mixture of intellectual try and an attempt to intellectually understand something that actually goes on within the soul at an emotional level. And this is why I've focused very much in the last year and a half about your emotions. Because without your emotions being involved in the process, you will not be able to go through this transition. Right. The emotions are an essential part of actually making that transition. Now, as the emotions are influenced, what happens is this soul, through these laws, grows into this new creature, and that point, at some point in the future you become, you've heard the term, at one with God. There are constant new age and other viewpoints today that we are already at one with God, we just don't know it. You've heard of that? Like you are, like there's, there's this idea that you are all gods, you just don't, are not aware of it yet. When you become aware of it, then you will have realized self-realization, enlightenment. That is not what I'm talking about. Right? What I'm talking about is this, pro, this becoming at one with God is an emotional process. It's not an intellectual process. It's not a process that you can actually drive intellectually. You can assist yourself intellectually, but you won't be able to drive it intellectually. It's an emotional process. All of the laws of divine love operate only upon the soul and no other part of you. And that's why it's so important to understand them. But remember I said a child can understand them. <laughs> so that's easy. Understanding them is one thing. Doing them is a completely another thing, right? <laughs> Don't you think? And that's where it's difficult. Because the majority of us are so... This world that we live in has become so designed about having everything happen in our head and having us understand everything before we feel it, that we will never get into the state of atonement by using our intellect. 
We cannot, in fact, get into a state of at one with God by using our intellect. It's physically impossible. Right? It can only be done by the soul's growing. It can only be done by the soul transforming. So, in summary, we have this hierarchy of laws that we can group into three primary areas. The first area is the physical group. The physical universe is governed by all of those laws. There are literally millions of those laws that you can read up on, study about, and you'll be totally fascinated about the majority of them. Like they, they are all fascinating. Then there is this group of laws which we will call the laws of natural love which are all operating upon the soul which are a group of moral laws. <coughs> Many of us have very little desire to understand them. right? And the reason why is because it sounds all too religious and it sounds all too like controlling of my life and everything else with those laws. That's what we often feel. But those laws often are the laws that define your condition when you pass. So that group of laws will determine if you've broken them or lived by them. And I mean broken them or lived by them in the soul, not in your head. Right? That will determine your condition. And this is why many religious people pass still in one of the first fierce conditions or in a hell, hellish condition. The reason why they pass into those conditions is because they have not understood that even me wanting to harm you by actually manipulating you into doing something I want you to do is damaging to you. And that I actually have a penalty on my soul if I do that. So every time I... And they don't understand that every time I get up in front of you and teach you an untruth, my soul condition just goes down. So imagine if you were a minister teaching, like passionately teaching, <coughs> excuse me, a group of untruths, you would be expecting to pass over in a really good condition, wouldn't you? But if you've been passionately teaching a group of untruths that have affected so many different people's lives, your condition is degrading in that process. It must be a shock to the major. It's a huge shock to most people when they pass. Yep. Can we microphones, please? Uh, it's just that the microphone is what gets the sound, which actually gets your recording. So if you want to hear this again, this is the only way. Sorry to interrupt. That's right. Um, but if the minister, say, is truly believing that he's doing the right thing and like doing it with such passion and hoping that you know he's doing a good thing, but I just say that can't unfair. Why? That he'd go into the lowest one if he doesn't know, like... There is less of an impact if he didn't know than if he does know. Okay. So, so if there was a minister who was teaching a heap of untruths that he didn't even believe himself, okay. he's going to be in a lot worse condition than a minister who actually fully believes everything he's teaching. However, things you teach have a huge effect on everyone around you. So you imagine if you're one of the persons that this minister has taught and you believed all of your life that my blood was the only way that you'd be saved. And so you believed that passionately, you did the church, Jews, you did everything like that, and then you passed over into one of the first few locations in darkness, and you actually were in better condition than the minister who taught you. Right? Imagine how you would feel about religion then, and how you would feel about God then, and how you would... like. There'd be lots of emotions you would have about that. 
And who's responsible for that? Not just you. The minister who taught you is also responsible for that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's very, very important to understand that when we teach, we have a big responsibility. Yeah? And this is one reason why many teachers who are um, idolized here on earth pass in quite poor conditions. Because they've actually taught lots of untruths that now need to be untaught. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there is a fairness to it. There's a, everything God has done law-wise is fair. It's just that often we don't think it's fair because we have our own definition of what love is or what fair is. So if you're teaching, make sure you're teaching the truth. It doesn't matter you know, if it's just a little portion of the truth, as long as you know it to be true inside of you. you know, if you can feel the truth inside of you, then teach that. But be aware that even there are many people who have taught in the past who, can feel the, who think they feel the truth inside of them, but they're actually not understanding what that feeling is and they're actually still teaching falsehood. So there are many ministers, as you correctly point out, who are totally sincere, right? who fully believe in their heart what they, what they think they feel, but actually they're being influenced through their feelings of, from different spirits. So you know how sometimes you hear something and you have this feeling pass through you? A lot of people on the New Age path think that that means it's your feeling. But actually, a lot of times it's not your feeling. It's actually a feeling from a spirit who's with you who agrees with that idea. Does that make sense? And this is where it's so important to understand your own feelings. Far more important to understand your own feelings and then of course you can start to feel God's feelings come through you. Um, okay. Just two quick questions. First one, um, the Ten Commandments, Yep. Okay. where do they fit into the, which... Yeah. They, they are, some of them, moral laws. Some of them are actually not moral laws at all. Some are man-made laws. By the way, don't mix up a man-made moral law with a moral law of God. Right? Many religious formats on earth today totally um, are, co are um, condemnatory of homosexual relationships, for example. But that doesn't mean it's God's law. Do you follow me? Right. So, so there are many laws that man has created and I'm not talking about those laws. I'm talking about moral laws that actually do exist from God's perspective. What the, moral, the laws that God created. Right? And yes, some of the Ten Commandments are related to those laws. So you must not murder, of course, is one of those. If we look at the you must not murder, what, if we murder, we're harming someone else's free will, are we not? So the law of free will is broken. We're also not being loving to the person, are we? So the law of love is broken. You, you can see that there's quite a number of laws broken if we murder. So yes, you must not murder is a moral law that actually has basis from God's perspective. Is that, a, is that a also applicable to some of the laws, say in Hinduism, Buddhism and the, all the other isms, that there are some laws that are moral laws and some that are divine laws? That's correct. Some are, some are man-made moral laws. So most Buddhists don't accept um, the, the, a homosexual relationship, for example. Um, so that's a man-made moral law. That doesn't mean God made it because God actually made certain souls that when they split they incarnate into two male forms. So, so the truth is 
that God didn't make that law, but man has made it. So we need to be differentiate between these two types of laws. The fact that there is a lot of man-made laws that we think are God's laws, but are actually just man-made laws because of emotions that exist within us. And we need to be very careful that we can see the difference between For example, how many of you would feel justified in the eye for an eye law if somebody came along and murdered your son or daughter? Right? Well, the truth is the majority of wars today are based totally around their feelings of justification about that, aren't they? Right? You look at almost all conflicts that are occurring on earth today and almost every one of those conflicts it comes from an emotion within us that actually it's just for me to take vengeance upon you if you have harmed me. That is not a moral law of God, nor is it a divine law. It's just an idea that man has come up with. The whole eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, which is actually also in the Bible, is actually not a God-made law. It's a man-made law. Does that make sense to everyone? Yeah. So totally different. Be careful between them because quite often you might read something and see that it's actually, it's, when you start analysing it from an emotional perspective, you can see that it has error. Um, AJ, those of us who realise that we've taught errors, how, how do we handle that now? And the fastest way to handle it, and this, applies, this is a very good question because lots of spirits who are here at the moment wanted to ask this question as well. The way to handle that is to feel the feelings of repentance and sorrow about the fact that you've done it. This is one of the laws of divine love. One of the laws of divine love is that if you feel a feeling of repentance and sorrow, that God's love can operate through you and take away the reason why you've done it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, so all of those people, if they go through this process of repentance and sorrow, then they will actually progress very rapidly. The only other alternative to that is to feel the law of compensation of everything that you've actually taught and the effect that's had on every single person's life that you've taught. So imagine if I was a priest living in the Second World War and I actually got up on the pul pulpit and said, it's okay for you to go to war. Imagine if, so everyone in the audience would have heard me say that. Many of them would have felt justified through my statement to go to war. And I could have read some Bible passages where the Israelites went off to war with the Philistines and the Israelites went off to war with the Palestinians and so forth, and you know, which is what they classify as different cultures, and they felt justified doing that. And I could justify you going off to war using this method. And yet every single person's life who was touched by me saying that, I would actually have to do with an emotion about that's the law of compensation. That's a moral law, the law of compensation, but the law of divine love is a law of repentance. If I go through a process of feeling deep sorrow and remorse for that and understanding what I have done, then now God's love can come and assist me through that process. Now there's some really good pageant messages where Luther, many of you have heard Luther, the founder of the Lutheran religion, when he passed, it talks about what he went through in terms of, he talks about what he went through in this process of repentance and how he progressed into the spirit, into the celestial spheres, which is the eighth sphere and above, through this process of understanding the laws of divine love. 
and he spends a lot of his time now trying to undo the effects, in fact, of what he did on earth. And by trying to influence the different people who have been influenced by his teachings, yep, and trying to influence them to get onto the divine path. So, so many people who in the future of all different types of religions will have been influenced by spirits who once were that religion and are now on the divine path wanting to help you get off the path that they actually said was true and onto the path that God says is true. Is it possible that he influenced me? It's very possible, yeah. Yep. And all of these spirits you can speak with, of course, if you're mediumistic, so of course you can actually validate all this information as well with them. So, so what you're saying about the law of compensation on the natural love path, that's, that's why if you decide to go on the natural love path, it can take you hundreds or even thousands of years yep. of, of working through all your mistakes yep. until you finally get anywhere, yep. whereas with the divine love path... Yep. And you gradually get somewhere, obviously, on that path. Mm. So, so if I had this realisation on the natural love path that, wow, actually I, I did get up in front of people and tell them to go to war and I had this realisation on the natural love path that that wasn't very nice, that I did that and it's affected their life terribly, I might then work through this issue of, you know, what can I do to fix that problem? So I might spend hundreds of years trying to fix that with every single person I influenced in my congregation, right? If I was a minister doing that. And that would be what I would need to do on the natural love path through the law of compensation. But on the divine love path, I can actually go into this state of understanding at the soul level emotionally what actually I did to everybody and through my relationship with God, you know, bearing my sorrow about all of that with God and God's love then can come and actually remove from me the reason why I did it. Does that make sense? Because I had a reason why I did it and that reason might be that I didn't like Germans or, or I didn't like English or I didn't like, you know what I mean? That might have been the underlying reason why I did it. And so, you know, once I work through this emotionally, that can be removed. And now I'm in a state of repentance where all of those actions now from God's perspective are cleared from me emotionally. But I'll still probably have a desire to actually help those people, but I won't feel as embroiled in their state as I would have previously. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So the laws of divine love are very powerful and it's important, I feel, for every single person in the universe to know them because it actually makes your life a lot more simple and easy to understand. When, when you read the pageant messages, uh, it, it reveals that uh, souls that have passed into the, the darkest place in the hells have now progressed into the celestial realms because they've discovered these principles that you're talking about. That's right. And the ones that haven't are still there. Many of them are still there or they're slowly but surely sort of getting into a different sphere. You know, you, there's in the pageant messages some experiences, for example, of, of spirits who have been, in, who got to the sixth year after two or three or four thousand years and then they spent three or four thousand years there before they learnt the principles of divine truth. And so, you know, then they made the transition. Then there are other experiences where people learnt a lot about divine love while they're on earth, like ones like Luther, for example, but when they passed over, because they taught error, there was a, there was a dark condition on their soul, and then they had to work through that, that emotionally, and they worked through that quite rapidly, and so progressed quite rapidly. So it all depends on what choices we make 
at the emotional level as to how fast we will progress. So there's a lot of spirits at the moment who are fairly excited about this now, like because they, what they've been taught over and over again, many of these spirits, is that they have to undo everything, the law of karma, in other words. So the law of karma is basically what you sow, you reap. You have to undo everything that you created, if it was in error, is basically the law of karma. Now, this law of divine love, or the law of repentance, supersedes that law, it overcomes that law. So if you can understand and listen to the spirits who understand that law, then you can progress very, very rapidly, rather than having to go through this terrible process of trying to undo everything you did in error. Because of course, many of the things you did in error were, were created in you by other people who did things in error. And God of course recognises that as well. And this is part of that law of divine love that recognises that process. Jen, thanks, and then over. Um, AJ, I've been sitting here and I've been having this kind of floating feeling of floating um, in and out of understanding what you're saying. Yes. I feel like I'm understanding it, but then all of a sudden I get this feeling of not understanding it. I get this feeling of um, I'm hearing, and then I, I just didn't hear what you said. Is that spirit influence yeah. through me? I felt as though it was. Yeah. Quite a lot of you are finding this conversation difficult uh, for that reason, because there's spirits connecting with you who, who feel a deep sense of confusion but they, they don't understand what's being even talked about. They don't understand that there's moral laws and these other laws that they didn't understand. Many of them also have emotions of how fair is this, that kind of emotion that was reflected earlier, how fair is this for me? Like, like I didn't know about these laws but I have broken them, I know I've broken them but, but well, what, what's, you know, that shouldn't be right, I shouldn't be where I am if I didn't know. Do you see what I'm saying? A lot of people feel that way. Many of you would probably feel that way if you had passed before, right? And so um, we need to help them work through the fact that they still need to deal with everything at the emotional level with regard to all of these things. So for these spirits that are with us who are listening about the discussion, there's a very, very fast and simple way as long as I understand this, but for many of them understanding means intellectually understanding it and I keep going back to this point because there are so many spirits here who do not understand that the soul is their emotions. They need to actually allow themselves to feel. Now, when I talked about the teacher's aspect, there were a whole group of spirits in this state who have been teachers when they're on earth who feel like this terrible remorse about what they've actually taught. But they're not allowing themselves to actually feel their remorse in terms of cry their remorse. Does that make sense? So they feel like, oh no, what have I done, what have I done? You know that feeling, that terrible feeling that you have when you've done something wrong and you recognize it. <coughs> but they don't allow themselves to actually cry about it and talk to God about it. And that's what they need to do, to cry about it and talk to God about it. And when they do that, then they'll connect emotionally. And as, they, as the tears and as they experience the sorrow of it, their condition will grow. Your condition can only grow if you experience the emotion of it, not if you think the emotion of it. So you can think all you like, yeah, you know, I did the wrong thing there, but until you're feeling that, your condition will not change.
recent years, AJ, I um, studied the principalities of Thoth, the Atlantean, in the Emerald Tablets. Yep. Um, they seem to be pretty definitive laws. I'm just wondering what your view of that is, and did this man actually go on the divine love path or the natural love path? Some of the spirits who have, have given the laws uh, from all of these different kinds of forms are actually now on the divine love path. But, but when they originally gave those laws, they were on the natural love path. So the laws themselves reflect natural love laws or physical laws or metaphysical laws that they've put forward and written down. And, and a lot of them are very detailed in nature and, and are very true, like very true laws. But you don't need to understand them if you start practicing the laws of divine love. So a lot of us are drawn into understanding them at this level which is the intellectual level, rather than actually feeling them. In the Bible, there's a, there's, a, there's a passage that I really connected to in the first century that caused all of these changes to occur within myself, and that is, it says, the law of God will be written on your heart. Right? So in other words, instead of you having to read something and intellectually understand it, when you get into this state of connecting with God through her divine love entering you, the law of God is actually written inside of you. You can't break it. You can't actually break a law when the law when when divine love is in your soul. When natural love is in your soul, you can break a law. And in fact, every six fear spirit who's present here with us today is breaking one law, at least. And that is the law of the Holy Spirit. You've heard, and this is, the law is, and you've heard me use this term maybe in the past, is sin against the Holy Spirit. What the sin against the Holy Spirit is, refusing to connect to God at an emotional level and receive divine love. Right? That's a sin against the Holy Spirit. Now, many six-fear spirits, and in fact every single six-fear spirit, commits that sin every single day. Right? So, every six-fear spirit is actually breaking one of these laws of divine love. It's not going to affect them at this level, at the laws of natural love level. So they're going to live a very, very happy life at the laws of natural love level, but because they're breaking the law of divine love, they will never get above that condition until they recognise they're breaking that law. Does that make sense to everyone? There's a pageant message where... Uh um, it's asked, what is the, the greatest sin that you can ever commit? Yep. And that's it. That's the one, the one you spoke of. The one I just spoke of is the biggest sin you can ever commit. You don't get punished for it, obviously. Well, when you say punished for it, you know, your life can still be a semblance of happiness, right? And in fact, every six-fear spirit feels their life is extremely happy. However, they are preventing their own eternal and and an infinite progression. So imagine, imagine you've done everything else that you can do here on earth. You've progressed really well in the sixth sphere up to the six, in the spirit world up to the sixth sphere. You've lived a really joyous life. You are still actually breaking one law that's primary, and that are a group of laws called the laws of divine love. And the sin against the Holy Spirit, or the breaking of this law about God's offer of love, divine love, to actually transform your soul is actually breaking a law in itself. You're not going to be punished for it in the sense that your condition will worsen, right? You just will never get to a state of atonement with God or grow infinitely. 
And in fact, every one of those spirits is totally aware that they're not immortal. You see, there's a constant concept on here on earth that, that we are all immortal souls. The truth is that the only immortal soul is the soul that's actually transformed from the human soul to the divine. Right? And this is one of the basic concepts here on earth that is totally misunderstood. And in the sixth sphere, there are literally millions and millions of spirits constantly discussing every day how they can become immortal. And they discuss the, uh, to the nth degree this, this whole process of immortality, but they do not have the humility to accept the very childlike teachings of the laws of divine love to actually make the transition. And so they sin against the Holy Spirit in that place. And remember, when I say sin, and we'll talk more about sin after the break, it's missing the mark. That's all it means. It means like you're aiming at a certain place, you're aiming let's say, and you know, you're a bit off, and so what happens? It doesn't hit the bullseye. Perfection is hitting the bullseye, if you like, and missing the mark or sinning is when we miss that mark. There is no, when I use the term sin, there is no negative connotation of it. Sin is the effect of an emotional condition within you. That's all. Now, it's uh, five past three, so what we'll do now is have a break, and uh, and if we can come back about 45 minutes time, is that alright? Awesome. <laughs> One thing I uh, would like to point out to you, uh, when we're having discussions like this, what often happens is that uh, <clears throat> there are spirits with a person motivating a person. This occurs with all of us, of course. What happens if you feel a feeling of like feeling tired or lethargic or confusion or any of those types of feelings, allow yourself to connect to them because it, it means that there's a spirit with you with a very, very similar emotion to you that's causing you to shut down a little to the discussion. And allow yourself to feel what that would be about. So let yourself feel what that is about. Like, a lot of spirits don't being like to be told things that they don't know. Just like a lot of people on earth don't like to be <laughs> They don't know, right? And so, so what happens is that, uh, you know, what's the standard way of handling that on earth? I just tune out or you know, get distracted or do something else and so forth. And often that happens to us over and over. So if you notice that happening in these discussions, because some of the discussions coming up can be quite confronting emotionally, so allow yourself to feel about the, uh, the discussion and allow yourself to see what's going on emotionally. I just had a thought, I just got to check to see whether I am recording, which I am. Alright, so let's get back to the discussion. You notice I've missed out the section Sin and Error, so let's uh, talk about that. Great word, Sin. Three, little three-letter word, it's even worse than a four-letter word. Right? And it's, uh, there's not many two-letter words that really trigger you, but a three-letter word, you know, there's two main three-letter words that trigger you, sin and God, right? Uh, generally, <laughs> the three-letter words that trigger people. Uh, <laughs> since when does sex trigger you? <laughs> it's triggering you something, but... Yeah, so um, sin is a sin is a word that is often treated like with a lot of really negative baggage, right? 
And all it is from a Greek point of view is just the term, the term means missing the mark. Right? That's all it means. So if we have an emotional reaction to the word sin, let yourself feel about that because you've got some emotions about childhood, religion, God to work your way through if you have an emotional reaction to that word. The word itself really just means missing the mark. In other words, not being able to get where you aimed for. Right? Now, in the first century I said quite often to people that they need to become perfect like God is perfect. That's a fairly confronting topic as well when you think about it, isn't it? But when you think about it from what we're discussing, if I'm at one with God and God is perfect, then I will be perfect. Does that make sense? In my, the way that I deal with people and the way that I treat people and all these other ways because I'm actually reflecting God's qualities. So anything that's not that is basically sin. The problem that we have with the word sin often is this, this aspect of punishment. And when I use the word penalty, penalty, um, most people think of the word punishment. Right? So when we use the word penalty or the law of compensation, law of karma, which is what you sow you reap, Right? we often think of the word punishment, particularly if we've come from a Christian background, right? particularly if our parents have been Christian and they took us to church and you know, we were taught this thing of naughty person. And when you think about it, even in our own interaction with our parents, we're taught this principle of punishment, aren't we? How many of us have spanked our child when it's done something wrong, not understanding it's actually our own law of attraction based on our own soul condition that the child did it, most of the time we don't understand any of that and so we finish up punishing our child for reflecting what is denied within myself which is actually very unjust when you think about it but we do it and so when, when we've grown up with that we then have these terrible viewpoints of like penalty, punishment we use interchangeably generally the way God uses it is it's every single law is there for a reason and the reason is to maintain the harmonious universe that God creates, every single law. Whenever we break a law, there is an automatic consequence. Right? And the penalty is the consequence, if you like. What is the consequence of breaking the law? Now remember I said earlier that the biggest sin you could ever commit, the biggest missing the mark you could ever commit, is refusing the offer of divine love which is currently being offered to you. Right? That's the biggest sin you could ever commit. The consequence of breaking that law is you will never be at one with God, you will never be out of progress infinitely. Can you see how there's a consequence or a penalty for breaking that law? It doesn't mean that you won't be, have a semblance of happiness, because you will. And in fact, every six-fear spirit who's present with us today has a deep, deep sense of their own personal fulfillment and happiness. But there is the consequence they are experiencing of missing the mark with regard to the divine love law and the consequence is that they will never be at one with God, they will never progress infinitely and they will never be at one with their soulmate in a combined soul union state. That's the consequence of breaking that law. Does that make sense? Every single law has a consequence for its being broken. 
And remember I said, remember we've talked about the hierarchy, we've got the, the lower level laws which are the physical laws, then we've got the next highest level laws which are the moral or the laws of natural love, and then we've got the highest laws which are the laws of divine love. Now, each set or level of laws has their own consequences for their being broken. So if I step off the building with regard to a higher building, the consequence of the law of gravity is that I can actually die. Physically die. Not my soul, obviously, but physically I can pass. So that's the consequence of the breaking of the law. Every single law is put into place by God for a loving reason. So let's look at the law of gravity. The Earth's spinning around 600 or 700, whatever it is, miles an hour, right? Or what's that in kilometres? About a thousand or so. Spinning around. You know, what would happen if there was no gravity? We'd be flying through space the moment we're born, right? Whoosh! Out of the And unless there's something to stop you, you'd be out there, right? And uh, the picture is it. Right? So, you know, you'd have, you'd have all these people being born just flying off the earth all the time. And so it's obviously a loving, there's a loving reason why the law was created. Does that make sense? So, but there's also a consequence for the breaking of the law. And that is whenever we attempt to break the law, there will be a physical, in the case of the law of gravity, consequence where I might get injured or even die from the experience. It's the same with every single law. So the emotional laws, or you could say the laws of natural love, are all the same. There is a consequence, but the consequence is upon the soul, not upon necessarily the bodies, although it also will become upon the bodies because of the way the soul is connected, remember. So here's our soul. We've got our two bodies connected to the soul, so obviously anything that happens... Ooh, a bit short-waisted there. Anything that happens... Anything that happens to this soul is going to affect the condition of those bodies. So this is why we feel so much pain at times, physical pain, you know? Because there's something going on emotionally at the soul level that creates these pains. And the denial of those emotions generally creates these pains in these bodies. And the spirit body has its own pains. So often when you talk to a spirit um, who's in the process of not yet reaching at one with God, but is progressing, they'll get to, say, the second sphere and they'll notice there's still little areas of their body that don't look very good, that actually look sick or sore, right? And uh, when, when different spirits have come and talked to me, they've talked about different emotions in different areas, like, why have I got this particular big crack down here? I never had that when I was on Earth. And what's going on, you know? Why have I got this particular... And when I look at my face, this part of my face looks a bit distorted. What's going on there? Right? And when you start connecting them emotionally to it, they start realising what the emotion is that's created that physical distortion. The very lower spheres can't even hold their body together. So the spirits in the lower spheres of the, of the hells can't even hold their body together properly. So they, they have this feeling of bits of them everywhere sort of feeling. Like, there's not enough attractive love in their soul to actually hold a physical form together clearly. And so they, they, they are very, very dark condition often and very distorted and gross bodies, like really look ugly. This is why many of your children have nightmares. 
because in their sleep state and because of the protection force that we put around our children through our own condition, sometimes our children aren't very protected. And so these spirits can easily come to them and the child is automatically worried because they see a sort of a grotesque figure. Right? And uh, many of you have personally had that experience in your own childhood where you've been so freaked out by the grotesque figures that have come to visit you that you've just closed down your own mediumship abilities altogether. Right. And up the back, is there a question there? Can we have a mic up the back there? Thanks. Dennis. Thank you. How can we make that better for our children now? By changing our soul condition. Changing our soul condition. Changing our soul condition, yep. When you change your soul condition, then obviously what's happening is the protection offered by your soul to your children, which is automatic, um, is much greater. So there's something in your soul condition that's attracting it. So uh, a lot of times it can be nothing, what we would normally classify as bad, you know, not so much badness. It doesn't mean if an evil spirit is attracted to you that you're evil. But what it does mean is you might be afraid of evil, for example. You might be afraid of being manipulated. You might be afraid of feeling powerless or you might have these different emotions that you need to allow yourself to work through. And those emotions, the ones you need to work through, will be the ones that are triggered by the knowledge of this thing occurring. So if your child comes to you and, feel, and says, Mummy, Mummy, you know, like I'm terrified, you know, obviously the child wouldn't say it like that. They'd just be crying and scared and shaking. And then, of course, what, what the question you need to ask yourself is what emotion in me is this? Oh, what do I feel? I feel powerless. I feel whatever the emotion is, is the emotion you need to release from that law of attraction event. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Let yourself release that emotion. Your soul will be in a greater condition of protection. Once your soul is in a greater protection, uh, protection, the child won't be influenced by that by that connection either. Well, actually, also meant now that they've grown up and they're in their 30s. Uh, same applies. So the question there was, with, if even if they've grown up and in their 30s, same applies. Um, obviously, many of our emotions are imposed upon our children. So if we release the emotion, it automatically enables our children, no matter what their age, to deal with their emotion if they so choose. So the same condition applies. So getting back to this consequence. Every law has its consequence. You could then say that the breaking of any law is an automatic judgment. Can you see what I'm saying? So you see, as soon as if, if, I, if, the, if a law has a consequence, then if I break that law, there's an automatic judgment on something that, around me. It might be physical, it might be spiritual or emotional, it might be soul-based. Let's look at it from the law of gravity's point of view again. What's the judgment of me standing on the edge of the building and then deciding to jump off, right? The automatic judgment of the law of gravity is if I'm too high that I can safely land and I don't have the aerodynamic, um, law of aerodynamics on my side or another law on my side that prevents it from occurring, I will kill my material body. That's the judgment. Instant. Can you see? Now, it doesn't mean that God's actually judged you, does it? The law itself has imposed its consequence. Every single one of God's laws immediately imposes its consequence of being broken upon you. Every single one of them. And particularly all the soul-based laws p impose an immediate consequence. 
The problem is at the soul level, most of us are not sensitive enough emotionally to notice the consequence. <laughs> right? But if we were, and in fact when you progress in divine love to the point of atonement, you will become so sensitive emotionally that if you attempt to break any law, you will automatically feel the pain of it. Even if even the attempt, not even doing it, but the desire to do it will cause you to feel the pain of that. So do you think you're going to be breaking laws? No. no, you won't. And that's why it becomes automatically. The law is now written in your heart. Can you see? When the law is written in your heart like this, you can't break it. It's in physically, emotionally, soul-based impossible for you now to break this law because of the immediate feeling you would feel if you did. So this idea of consequence, if you could use the term consequence and sometimes you in the pageant messages the term judgment is used that is consequence that's an immediate there is an immediate judgment of what's going on at any one point in time an immediate consequence now often we use the term judgment as you know this connotation that we have to it today which is when we were judged badly as a job you're a bad person. God never feels you're a bad person. Just any law that you break, there's a consequence. <laughs> but God doesn't feel you're bad if you break it. When you think about it, if God felt you were bad breaking it, it'd be a very unfair God. Because didn't he create the law of free will too? And so if he feels that you're a bad person if you break his laws because of your law of free will that he gave you, wouldn't that be unfair? So God doesn't do that. God doesn't project judgment at you. All God does is create all of the laws of which every single one of them has a consequence that will impose itself upon you when you either break it or work in harmony with it. Now, with the highest laws, if you work in harmony with the highest laws, you are automatically circumventing all the consequences of the lower laws. And that's why you don't even need to know them. So if I'm living perfectly in harmony with divine love at the atonement condition level, any potential consequence of a natural law or a moral law, it's like it doesn't exist to me. It's like all these other laws don't exist to me anymore. The reason why they don't exist to me anymore is because I automatically do them without thinking or without even feeling about them because it's already done in my because I'm already in harmony with the highest laws. So the beauty of that is that I don't have to even think about those laws or worry about them or care about them at all. Then I automatically overcome them. Every one of them. I don't break them. Because I can't. Not because, and I don't even want to. Not because somebody's preventing me to or telling me what to do. But because I don't even want to, in my own heart, break them. So, hopefully that little discussion has helped you see the relationship between this word, this bad word sin, right? So cool. And this idea of punishment and judgment. Now what's happened with a lot of religious forms and, uh, on earth is that 
they've taken the term judgment then out of context from what I originally used it and now imply it to mean that you're a bad or evil being. Right? Now every single person does and can do bad or evil things given the bad or evil emotions that can exist within the soul. But every single person also in their pristine state doesn't need to have those emotions all those thoughts, all those desires to do certain actions that are evil. So the truth is from God's perspective you are a beautiful being with emotional damage. God does not judge you as inherently evil although many of you do have the emotion that you're inherently evil right? because of what's happened with regard to the consequences of sin on the earth today. But you're not inherently evil. You're not inherently bad. No one is in fact inherently bad. I once uh, had this chat with this mother who um, who said to me that her daughter was bad from the moment she was born. Right? And yeah, poor girl. Hey, Having that projection of judgment from her mother from the moment she was born. That's a pretty strong projection and of course the girl is acting out that projection that she's evil, of course. So um, the word judgment doesn't mean these negative things that religion has been taught, taught us that it means. All it means is that there is a consequence, an immediate consequence for every single action we take. Every single thought we have, every single feeling we have, there is an immediate consequence. Some of the consequences are fantastic and some of them are quite negative and sad and painful depending upon whether we've broken the law or we've lived in harmony with the law. So I don't know about you but I'm very happy about the law of gravity. It saves me from dying of asphyxiation within a few seconds. <laughs> well you imagine being flown off the earth you've got about how many at a thousand miles an hour straight upwards or a thousand kilometers an hour straight upwards it's not very many minutes by the time you exit the earth's atmosphere and you can no longer breathe, right? So law of gravity has a lot of benefits. And so you will come to actually love all of God's laws because you see them as all beneficial. They help, they help you live in the universe that God's created. There is even laws, believe it or not, that allow you to create universes. So in your future life you will start seeing the effects of those laws as you work through your emotions. So there's lots of things to look forward to with regard to laws. Yeah, yeah. Well, from the seventh, every universe or dimension from the seventh to the twenty-second was the universe that I created. Right. So there's also been people who've created universes on the the lower end of that too. Because remember, originally the first human couple were just in the sixth sphere, so there was no other. There were no other universes available before then. So the fifth sphere, the fourth sphere, the third sphere, the second sphere, the first sphere—they've all been created by somebody. Yep, so I'm not the only person that has created universes. Other people have too. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. You will. Would you like to make any changes? <laughs> God's, God's, it's really God's laws that create the potential of you creating. Does that make sense? So in a way I didn't create them, but, I, but my soul condition 
en enacted or evoked a law that created them. Like planting a seed. Yeah. Does that make sense to everyone? And so this will happen to you in your own progression too, where what some changes you make, somebody in a certain sphere will, and many times thousands or millions of people in a certain sphere will feel them. Every one of you have the power to change the universe. Every one of you. Uh, through these laws. God created these laws in, with this power. That every one of you, when you're living in your free will completely and living in harmony with divine love completely, has the power to change universes. Now, if we're not living in harmony, we have less power. But we still have an effect. So don't you think that someone like Hitler, for example, had an effect through the choices that he made? And don't you think his mother or father, both of them, had an effect on the earth? through the choices they made and the way they treated him. Can you see? We all have an effect, right? Whether positive or negative. But our positive effects are going to far outweigh any negative effect. And this applies to Hitler as well. Right? Any negative effect from him being present on earth and making the choices that he made will eventually be overcome. And he himself may even be a celestial spirit one day. Right? Every single person who's ever lived has that prospect through the law, through these laws that God made. Isn't that wonderful? Like, that means that no, not a single one of us can make a permanent mistake. Isn't that, that's a wonderful idea, isn't it? Like, how many times have you told as a child, you make a mistake? Whoa. Like, don't you realise that you could have... And then usually there comes a long series of things that we think we now can't change, but, but in reality... There's nothing, no mistake you can make that's going to be permanent. So is, isn't that a bit of a relief? That means then that you can make a mistake on the divine love path and it'll be okay. You'll be able to undo it at some point. If you make it, you'll be able to undo it. And that's a huge relief. That also will relieve millions and millions and millions of spirits who are locked up in the first sphere feeling like that's where they belong now forever and a day. The thing is, they don't have to be that way just because of this one belief that we've been taught, usually from a young age or usually from a religion, that you can't change once you've passed. Or if it's from an Eastern religion, you can't change unless you reincarnate. None of these teachings are true. Right? And if we know the truth, it can free us totally. That's why the truth sets you free. And the irony of it all is, and one of the discussions we'll have about some of the laws will be, one of the laws will be the law of free will. When we talk about that, you'll see actually that what God is teaching you to do is how to exercise your free will in its most free possible capacity. Because you think about it. If I'm exercising my free will in disharmony with most laws, what's happening? I am receiving the consequences on my soul of each law that I'm in disharmony with. Now, that's like a prison. Can you see that? Like I'm getting bombarded constantly in that state of all of these consequences of laws I'm breaking. Now, you imagine if you were not breaking a single law. That would mean there were no consequences. Does that make sense? There is no painful or unhappy consequences in that state. So, what's that state going to feel like? No pain in my body, no pain in my spirit body, no pain. All my desires getting fulfilled, because all of my desires are harmonious with the laws of love as well. So they're all getting fulfilled. Imagine what that state is like, because that's the state you're headed towards. 
No, that's a, a very, very beautiful state. So the beauty of law is there is automatic consequence. Now, why did God make it that way? Well, God made it that way to give correction, immediate correction to every single person. Now, remember we said right, right back in the beginning of our discussions that there's two ways you can learn. One way for you to learn is to do everything by an experiment. See, this is what many scientists do, right? They come up with an idea of some kind of theoretical proposition. Then they get together a whole deal of apparatus and, and equipment and a lot of time and effort and they experiment with this idea until they come up with what they feel is a firm solution or something that's repeatable, a repeatable solution of what this idea is all about. That's what they do, isn't it? That is experimentation, isn't it? You can do that with every one of God's laws. What you do when you're doing that is you break the law and you feel the consequence. <laughs> and then you don't break the law and you don't feel the consequence, you feel the joy of it and you'll start working through laws that way. Most of us are not aware that we're doing this every moment, unbeknown to ourselves. That's, one that's, that's a beautiful thing because what that means is that I don't even have to ask God anything. I can just barge my way through life, feeling the consequences of my every action, and sooner or later I'll work out the truth. Now when I say sooner or later, it'll be very much later generally, <laughs> doing it that way. Now the alternative is to learn the law from someone else, isn't it? Can you see that? So instead of, instead of feeling like that I've got to actually test everything out myself, the alternative is that I start learning laws from other people. This is a bit like, you know, going to uni, you know, or going to school, and a teacher tells you, you know, maths. And then you go to high school and there's new things that you learn, and then you're in university and there's new things that you learn, and, and so forth. You're learning new things all the time, right? Now, there's two ways that we can get taught from other people. We can get taught from others. So let's say we're just getting taught from others. Now, there's two different paths that we talk about. So we could say others on the natural love path can teach us a lot of really good things, all about natural love. And then there's others on the divine love path that can teach us a lot of things about the divine. Agreed? Question? If we... Hey, Jay, just before going any further, um, question, one of the, one of the laws is, uh, thou shalt not kill. Yep. Okay. Every single day, each one of us are killing. Yep. How do, you know what I mean, just by breathing, there's, there's insects, we walk and kill an ant. Um, how does that apply to, well, if you we know look what I mean, is it a conscious thing, whether you're doing it out of, or, you know what I mean, or you're not... Well, firstly, there's an emotion driving question. And the emotion is a feeling of fear that's saying, uh-oh, gee, I'm killing a lot of things in the moment of a day. Does that mean I'm going to have to pay for all of these things? The original law, which you're quoting, is actually referring to the soul of a, of a man or a woman. So in other words, thou shalt not kill another person, is what the original statement is. However, there are also different laws about killing animals 
and about the purposeful destruction of our environment even. So obviously there are certain things that God allowed, has created in its natural, in, and we live in, in the natural state, and then there's things that we do by choice which affect that state. So this is where I've talked to you in the past about like eating meat. Eating meat is a choice that you're making to kill an animal. Now, do you think that's harmonious with love or disharmonious with love? Right? For the love of the animal I'm talking about. It's disharmonious with love of the animal. Right? Now, people on the natural love path will say, well, you've got to eat some protein. So, you know, go for fish instead or something like that. But in reality, it's still the killing of an animal. And when you feel it on the divine love path, you'll get to a point where you actually feel inside of yourself the animal's own hurt, the, the pain of that animal. When you feel that, you will change. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's the same goes with an insect. An insect comes and bites you, and most of us would just give it a <laughs> clip, right? Yeah. What are we doing? We're expressing our anger about being attacked, which is actually an emotion that we, we actually encourage this insect to attack us in that way, right? through our emotion. If we allowed ourselves to deal with the emotion, that insect wouldn't even attack me anymore. So I wouldn't even need to smack it. Does that make sense? Because I would no longer have the law of attraction. And this is a problem with a lot of the laws that we talk about, is we can talk about it on an intellectual level and describe the law on an intellectual level and that means this and that means that. But in reality, if you change at the soul level, your law of attraction will change completely and you, you won't even be governed by that law anymore or that particular event occurring anymore. So it wouldn't even need to be a discussion anymore. <laughs> Does that make sense? So for many of us, what's happening is that we're having to discuss these things because we're living in this imperfect state rather than just focusing on the soul development to get to the perfect state. So my suggestion always, whatever you do, focus on the soul development, the emotions within you that are preventing you from being in the perfect state. Once you get to the perfect state, then analyze what God has created and tell me whether it's loving or not. Because at the moment, we're all just basically living in this breaking the law place, which of course doesn't feel very good. It feels quite painful. Yep. Okay. Uh, no, you have to wait for the mic, because yep, uh, otherwise it won't get recorded. When you're talking about killing something that's living, where do we stop and where do we start? Because I think of plants as live things and they grow more, so do we not, you know, so just me, where do you stop, where do you start? Exactly, exactly. And the key is to feel your emotions. See, on the divine love path, as you receive more and more divine love, you'll know the answer to every one of these questions automatically. Right? I won't need to tell you anything. What you'll need to do is just allow yourself to feel the divine love and connect with the divine love entering you, and then feel about what you're doing. See, with plants, there's, you know, I can describe it all intellectually to you. There are some plants that don't die when you pick them, or there are other plants that do. There are sometimes you need to do something for a higher reason. You know, what's going on when I say higher reason? Like, with regard to a plant, um, does a plant have a soul? Well, some New Age people would say yes, and I'm saying no. A plant doesn't have a soul, and even an animal doesn't have a soul but it has a body and can feel pain, just like the, pain, the plant can feel pain. So why do something to the plant that creates pain when you, know, you could choose to do something else? 
Also, remember, everything reflects your own soul condition and your own law of attraction. So something's going on. So at the moment, in my in my yard, there's lots and lots of mother of millions. Right? I bought the property like that. Um, and there's lots and lots of mother of millions. Some of them in some places are just automatically going away without me doing anything. Others in other places are thriving like you don't believe, you know. <laughs> so obviously I've got some emotion to work through, you know what I mean, about what's going on with each thing. And I need to work through that emotion and that will change. Everything that's happening in my environment is a product of my soul condition. Now, at the moment on earth we don't believe that to be true because Unfortunately, what happens is it's not only just a product of my own soul condition, but also a product of the soul condition of everyone around me, too, to a degree. Whereas in the spirit world, you have more and more and more of your own space that creates what's going on in your own environment. Right? But that will also happen here on Earth, and the key is to put that into practice, experiment with that, and you'll see differences. So rather than answer the question of what you should do with a plant, you need to start feeling what you should do with the plant. Talk to God about what you should do with the plant. Remember this is about your relationship with God, not about me telling you what to do. Anyway, let's look at how we learn. Others, we learn from others. So learning from others means like, like you know that somebody knows how to do something and you don't know how to do it, so what do you do? Just go and ask them. But if you've got, an, if you've got a bit of pride, will you ask them? Nah, you want to work it out yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed? Wouldn't you? If you've got a bit of pride, you want to work it out yourself. You don't want. Or that, and then after a while, you're working out things, working out things, and, and let's say you've spent a hundred years trying to find the answer, and it still hasn't found the answer. By now, your pride might be a bit less there. <laughs> and so then you ask. Right? The beauty of this is that any single person in the spirit world on earth can teach you something. If they're on the natural love path, they can only teach you things to do with natural love. If they're on the divine love path, they can teach you things to do with divine love. Any person can assist you in that way. Right. The other source, of course, of teaching you anything is, is God. Now, the thing that makes sense about connecting with God is God knows all the answers. <laughs> all right? So, you know, the problem with asking others all the time, so you can ask me if you want, but I don't know all the answers. The only person that knows all the answers is God. So what's the point in connecting to me who doesn't know all the answers when you could be connecting to God and find out all the answers yourself? There's not much point really, is there, when you think about it? Can you see the importance of your relationship with God? Now, God is giving you these two choices. Do I investigate for myself? which means I don't ask God and I don't ask others and I do some experiments. You can do it that way and you'll have some pretty good events happen to you. You'll also have some fairly painful events happen to you and you'll work through those issues emotionally until you get to a point where you think you understand what the truth is. So that's one option. Another option is to ask others. Asking others has the benefit that you can learn things a lot more quickly, doesn't it? Something that might take you a year to learn, might take you a month to learn if you ask somebody else to teach you what's going on. But it requires a degree of humility. Can you see that? It does. Then, of course, we can ask God, which requires the most humility possible. Well, when you think about it, God's the creator of the universe. You're going to the creator of the universe. You're going to need a fair bit of humility to be able to hear this creator of the universe tell you the answers that you don't want to hear. 
You see, when we go and ask the other person, we can have an argument with them. We can say, I don't agree with that. You know, no, 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 that's not right. Can't we? Do you think God actually gets into arguments with you? No. So when God tells you something and you don't want to hear it or you, want to, you, you, know, you don't want to believe it, does God say, you naughty person? You, you, God doesn't do any of that. Can you see how you need to be the most humble? Because God is not going to have an argument with you. Now, with others, some of them will maybe have an argument with you. Some of them will say, no, no, you're in the wrong space now. I'm leaving. At least they tell you that. Like, but God won't even do that. Right? Because God is the most loving being, accepting your free will the most in the most loving way, and so you won't get an argument from God. But you will have a consequence. <laughs> and the consequence is that you have to find some other way of learning. And all other ways of learning are not as effective as the most fast way of learning, which is connect to God, receive divine love, have your soul expand, and then you understand. That's the fastest way of learning. Can everyone see? So God actually created all of these ways for you to get assistance. The biggest way, of course, is your connection with God. God always answers you. People go, what? what? Like I've asked God lots of things, and God's never asked, answered me nothing, you know? Yeah, you know, that's the answer, no. That's, you know, and we just don't listen to it most of the time, right? And so, you know... We often think that God should do something in a certain way for us, but, but we're often out of harmony with any, of lots of laws in the process. When we're out of harmony with a law, remember there's an automatic consequence. So if you're out of harmony with the way in which you ask God a question, you will not receive an answer. How do we come to God? In humility. What's humility? The definition of humility was... I desire, I have a passionate desire to experience all of my emotions. Right? So we come to God with a passionate desire to experience all of our own emotions, even if they're in error. That's humble. And once I'm in that state with God, God can answer any single question we have. Can you see why most scientists on earth can't receive divine truth? Now, I don't mean that they can't that they can't in the sense that they can't. I mean that they're not receiving it in the sense that they've chosen to not. Because many of us have so much intellectual knowledge that we're not in a humble place anymore. That God can say, oh, no, you know that bit of intellectual knowledge you have there? Actually, you know, that's not the way actually it all works, you know. And you know this whole idea about soul power or whatever. I know it sounds like a great idea, but I've got like five other forms of power which are far better than that one that you could actually be using at far less cost and far less damage to the environment. Do you want to know about those ones? No. No, I don't want to know about those ones. So, you know, and can you see how we often, often work on Earth? Like many times I've had conversations with many of you where you've asked me a question, I've given you an answer, and you said, no, it's not like that at all. <laughs> right? You do that with God all the time. You ask God a question, God gives you an answer, and you say, it's not like that at all. Right? And later down the track, the only thing God can say, well, later down the track is, you'll find out that I was right. <laughs> Does that make sense? That's the only thing God can do, is to say that to you. Right? And usually can't even say that to you because you won't even listen to that, so you need somebody else to say that to you. Right? So let yourself learn from God. Learn the laws from God. The divine love path is the way you'll do that, by actually having God's love enter you. When the love enters you, 
your soul expands in its sensitivity to breaking every law and its sensitivity to breaking anything in fact is all is greatly enhanced and a lot of us will say oh that's a, not a very good thing you're telling me i'll be more sensitive about about yes you will be more sensitive you know when you see the television footage of a person dying overseas you know children dying overseas through war and you cry you're going to cry some more about that you'll be more sensitive you'll get to the point where you feel saddened by what's going on in the world around you but you'll actually get to a point after you've released your own causal emotion about what that's triggering to a point where you're no longer even saddened but you have this huge compassion and understanding for what is the cre creation of that event and you'll get to that point because God has taught you so allow God to teach you her laws that there's millions and millions and millions of laws but the simplest of them is the most powerful and that's beautiful when you think about it is it there's a, there's a poetic irony in that don't you think like you know, all of these so-called learned people, so-called gurus and everything else have all of these different laws in their minds and their hearts, right? But, but in the end, the simplest possible thing you could ever conceive is what God's conceived for you to understand at its most powerful form. Now that just is like, you, you think of the beauty of that creation alone. It's just amazing. Amazing what effect that can have on your life. That means our little children at two, three years of age can actually learn to become at one with God so rapidly that and a little child two or three years of age can understand this process and they can become at one with God so rapidly by the time they're six or seven do you think they'll have any negative law of attraction at all like these are this is what's available to us as a race but unfortunately not in you know it's not acknowledged or enabled yet okay so what, do, what else does the, do these laws do for us? The other thing they do is expose emotional error. E cubed. <laughs> expose emotional error. All right, so. Every single law has been designed to help you find the emotion inside of yourself as to why you desire to break that law or others desire to break that law. It exposes the emotional error or you could say it highlights the emotional truth. Every single law brings truth to you. Every single law has been created that way. So, the basic principle of that is this. There are two forms of, you could say, negative feedback that we can have, and there's a form of positive feedback we can have about our laws. So let's look at the negative feedback. Do you, do you understand what I mean by negative feedback? You know, feedback to us in, at our soul level that makes us feel worse. We'll all call that negative feedback. The two forms of negative feedback. The first form is pain. The instant you break a law of any type, there will be an instant painful response. The pain can be physical, it can be emotional, 
it can be like emotional and spiritual, or it can be soul-based pain at a really, really deep level that we're so detuned from that we can't even feel it at the time. But there will be pain. Every single time I break a law. Second thing is suffering. Now, the difference between pain and suffering is pain is that instant response to the breaking of a law. Suffering is when it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. That's the suffering part. So if we're in pain or suffering about any issue, then it's because we're getting some feedback, which is what we think is negative or painful. Actually, it's very positive. It's letting us know exactly what's going on. So we're getting negative feedback or painful feedback straight away that we've broken the law. How do we, what about the positive feedback that happens when we don't break the law? What happens there? If quotations again, because I do feel that it's all positive, isn't it? What happens? Yeah, this thing called joy. Yeah, yeah. See? Joy, happiness. Now, the list of positive feedbacks are a lot greater, by the way. Peace. Can we keep? Relief. Relief. Bliss. Bliss. So there's all these different feelings that actually are positive feelings that we're doing the right thing. In other words, living in harmony with the law. Does that make sense? That God has created. So God's created this automatic feedback system if we're sensitive to our emotions. If we're sensitive to our emotions in every way, we will be able to feel the pain and we'll never get to suffering because pain is really, in the end, the only thing we need to feel to be corrected. We don't need to feel suffering to be corrected. Well, all we need is the initial pain. If we feel the initial pain, we know we just did something wrong. Does that make sense? Something out of harmony with law. That's the only thing we need. Negative feedback-wise, if we can call it negative feedback, is the pain to tell us when we've done something out of harmony with law. And then there's all these beautiful things that happen when we do something in harmony with law. You feel excited when you're in harmony with law. You feel passionate when you're in harmony with law. Right? If those things are not present in your life and you're feeling some pain, then it's because there's some disharmony with law happening. Does everyone follow that? Yeah. So let's look at the law of desire, for example. There's a law called the law of desire in that in the, if you act in harmony with what you truly feel inside of yourself, you will create some really beautiful things or some really negative things. The law is in, It doesn't matter which way you create. If you create unlovingly, you'll get some really painful negative things. If you create lovingly, you'll get some really positive, not very blissful type of things. So, so let's say this law of desire is operating constantly in your life. So let's ask ourselves the question, am I living right now in what I really desire? So like, how many of us go to a job that we're not liking? Right? So am I living in my... That's a law, that's the consequence of breaking the law of desire, is I feel the pain of not actually having my desires fulfilled. Does that make sense to everyone? So actually I'm not experiencing the joy, the happiness, the peace and everything that I could be experiencing. Now what might cause me to not activate my desire? An emotion of fear. Right? So obviously there's a fear and emotion I need to work through which will enable me to activate my desire. So work through it. Identify it, work through it. Let yourself feel it. Can you see how 
God's given you all these positive things to tell you when you're on the right track and God's given you only one thing that we often view as negative to tell you're on the wrong track. And yet most of us finish up living in this one thing <laughs> that's in the negative and not having very much of these very positive experiences in our life because we often are breaking the law. So can you see how it all works together, like there's all these laws that work together? And the reason why I wanted to have this discussion with you is because it's so important to see that God's done all of these beautiful, benevolent things for you to tell you when you're on the wrong track. So for many of you, when you first heard the presentation of divine truth in your life, how did you feel? like excited, just like often overwhelmed with joy, relief. This, these are all these feelings, weren't they? Yeah. Initially. Initially, that's what you felt, wasn't it? Yeah. Right. And then I talked about this thing called emotions, like, whoa. <laughs> How did you start feeling then? Like, see, can you say, we start feeling some of this now? Then. And the reason why is because initially our joy at finding truth was the positive feedback we needed from God to tell us that we're actually finding truth. And then what happens is we go into doubt. We go into this other emotion, which is a pain-based emotion, fear-based emotion of doubt. And when we kick into doubt, all of these other things start happening. Now, obviously, if I've got a heap of stored emotion that's painful in me, I need to release it. So I'm going to, on the divine love path, not always receive these feelings because I've stored these ones for such a long time that they're going to have to come out now. Right? So I'm not talking about that process. I'm talking about when you actually allow them to all start coming out, you'll get out of this pain or suffering cycle and you'll just be feeling the pains initially that you have suppressed and eventually all those will have gone and then where will you be? just in the positive feedback mode, in the, in the way that in which we experience everything. So let yourself trust your feelings. What is your soul? It's your feelings, your emotions, your passions, your desires. Lately I've had a lot of people ask me, oh, such and such, I thought such and such came along, a spirit person came along to talk to me the other day. What do you think? And I'm saying, well, hang on a sec, what do you feel? Was it that person or not? Well, yes, I feel it was that person. So why do you need me to confirm it? Why aren't you trusting your soul? Can you see? Most of the time we're not trusting our soul. Most of the time what we're doing is wanting... We have all these emotions that cause us to not trust our soul and so we kick in our intellect. And your intellect is thoroughly useless at helping you with your soul. <laughs> like, honestly, it's like it, 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 the only thing it's good for, really, in terms of helping with the soul, is like, yes, I want to feel all my emotions. Like, but even then, if your soul feels, no, I don't want to feel any of my emotions, <laughs> your intellect's not going to help you there either, right? So, can you see, like, the intellect is this is this very, very limited tool that you have that most of us live in for a long, long time on the earth that we, we need to give that up and start living in the feelings and the emotions and noticing the negative and positive feedback that occurs in our lives. When we notice these, this feedback occurring in our lives, we know straight away the law is spoken. So what, in terms of a practical situation, 
what happened for myself is for years and years, and I've described this to you before, for years and years I was wanting a relationship with a woman who did not want a relationship with me, right? And almost every single day I would cry about that. Right, what's going on? Suffering. suffering. I'm suffering. Why am I suffering? I'm breaking a law. What would this law be? A law related to self-love it must be. right? Can I, can I see if I'm suffering I can start knowing what's going on? Can you see that? Let's give you another example. Let's say all of a sudden there's this pain that starts developing in my body and I go along to the doctor and I find out I've got cancer. Pain is saying of broken a law. Okay, so what would the law be? Where's the cancer? Well, let's say it's in my left breast. What would it be? See, now you're all kicking into your intellect. What you need to do is feel what it's about, don't you, right? Don't you? you need, if it's you, your body, you need to start feeling what it's about. Now, we've been taught by some other, by, by others that it's to do with an emotion that I'm suppressing and there's, there's suppressed anger, so I know it's related to some anger I feel and so forth. And then if I just let the law of uh, attraction tell me what that's about. So I pray to God, ask God, please tell me what this is about. Next day, I get a man very angry with me and I just placate him. Right? And I know, ah, oh, man, he's angry with me and instead of me, I didn't allow my anger, I suppressed my anger and instead I got that. And I'm not suggesting you allow the anger and verbalize, verbally abuse him as well. What I'm saying is feel the emotional desire within you to do that and allow yourself to see what it is. There's God's message straight away. There's my answer. I know what it is. And this will happen to you like that, instantly like that, constantly, if you allow yourself to see the positive and negative feedback that comes from actually dealing with law. Can you see that? And you don't need anyone else to help you do that then, do you? You can do that yourself. Yeah? You can just trust your own feelings at the soul level and go ahead with that. Now if you trust your feelings and make a mistake, what happens? There's a consequence, which will be painful. And you'll notice. But are you punished for it? No. So you don't have to worry about that. It's just a, you know you just did the wrong thing. Obviously you're on the wrong track. Now, unfortunately for me, I'm a very slow learner, so you know the suffering continues for years and years and years before I learned one thing about love, for example, in the, in the example that I gave you. But if we're sensitive to it, and at the beginning I was not sensitive to it, that's why it took so long. But if you're sensitive to it, you can see it can be quite a rapid process, couldn't it? if you're sensitive to what's going on. So allow yourself to be sensitive to the response that your soul has to breaking the law. AJ, what if a, a situation brings all of those feedbacks, both positive and negative, then there is a certain law you're breaking and a certain law you're not. Okay. Uh, the, the truth is, if you're not breaking a law, there are no negative events and, or negative consequences unless it's an old experience. So that's the only proviso. So, if it, so let's say something triggers an emotion in me that relates to an emotion when I was three, 
with regard to my father that I stored and suppressed, well, obviously, if that's coming out, then that's still a positive experience. Does that make sense? Because I'm actually now feeling the pain that created my suffering. And I do need to do that. So that's the only time in which we will have painful experiences is the stored pain of our previous experience. Okay, so how can you tell the difference if you're actually reliving and re-experiencing stored pain or whether that, say, a relationship is causing you um, suffering in the now? Stored pain always occurs at an age. So when you relive it, you will always feel that age. Do you follow me? Yep. So, so if I'm three, and I'll feel three-year, I'll feel childish. I'll feel childish in the expression of that stored emotion. If I'm in an adult phase of it, of anger or rage, then I'm not experiencing that emotion, and I'm now experiencing the pain of suppressing that emotion or the suffering. I would say of suppressing that emotion. Every emotion you experience that's been stored in you, you will release, and when you release it, the event that it's related to will generally flow through you as well, no matter what age it was that it occurred. So you'll know the difference. You'll also feel it in your body. There'll be feelings or sensations in your body that feels like things leaving you or changes occurring in your body. Many of you have experienced this already, where you've had a huge emotional reaction to something and you realize it was related to something that happened when you were five or four or something. And then when you came out of that, your body will feel different. The first few days it will feel like, oh, it's making even sort of adjustments and changes. And then after a while, it all settles down and you feel quite differently in you. That's how you know that it's been related to something that's been causal from an old stored emotion. Stuff that continues to go on and on and on and on are things to do like crying every day about an adult event that occurred last week. You know, or last month, because it, the real emotion is not about that. Mm. It's always related to something earlier than that, generally. Mm. Right? Yeah. So allow yourself to find out what that is. And this is where prayer is so important. If you pray to God about it, God will use whatever God has at her resources to try and assist you to find the answer to your question, if you're open to hearing the answer. The problem is, as we'll talk about tomorrow, many of us are not open to hearing answers where we are creating problems for ourselves or others. We're totally happy, I'm totally happy to hear that Peter hurt me. I'm not totally happy to hear that I hurt Peter. Does that make sense? I'm totally happy to hear things where I've damaged, you know, other, other people have damaged me, but when, I, when I've damaged other people, usually I'm very resistive. Straight behind. In our busy lives, AJ, I'm wondering for myself, been on this path for four or five months now, yep. I'm trying to access that feeling of humility while I'm working or I'm driving a car or something yep. because an emotion will come up and I'm trying to go into that space and allow me to go to wherever I need to go to without any conditioning of, of some sort. Yep. Have you, can you give us some advice on how we can do that? Because I'm finding it... Unless I've created my own roadblock around that. Yeah. Just one piece of advice, and that is, if I'm not experiencing a causal emotion right now that's been stored inside of me, then I have a resistance to experiencing it. So, now, what that means, that what that advice means, is that, let's say I know there was an event when I was two or three years of age, or something like that, or, or even let's say I'm driving along the car, I'll give this example and say, we're driving along the car, and somebody cuts me off and I feel the rage, feel the rage towards that person. 
Well, right at that moment, I'm in denial of a causal motion because the rage is created by my denial of a causal motion. All right? So I feel the rage because I still need to feel all my emotions. So I feel my rage and as I, as I allow myself to sink into it, I ask myself, what is my... my block or my fear covering? See, a lot of this path is not about feeling the causal emotion so much because that will normally flow when you access it, just like a child's does, right? You know, you take a child along to the shopping centre, deny it a lolly, what happens? Uh, straight away, uh, there's, no, there's, no, there's no thought about it, is there? Oh, I'm going to get embarrassed if I cry now. I'll put it off or anything like that. It doesn't do any of that, right? It just flows out of it. The child has its emotion. You will be like that in the end. Now, if you're not like that right now, instead of focusing on trying to get to the emotion, focus on what's blocking you from getting to the emotion. Pray about what you're afraid of about getting to the emotion. Because you must be afraid of something. Something's blocking you. Because if it wasn't, you'd be feeling the causal emotion. So every time I feel anger or rage or one of those kind of emotions, I know straight away I'm actually afraid of something deeper and there's a block preventing me from accessing the thing deeper. And it's oftentimes also a choice, by the way, to feel the, feel the anger the block in itself creates a, deep, a bigger emotion. So the block might be fear about something which will create the choice to get angry. Right? So if I know that I'm feeling that, all I need to do is just say, oh, I'm blocking something. Do you really want to know what it is? Probably not. If I'm angry, I probably don't want to know. <laughs> Agreed? Because if I wanted to know, there's a pretty good chance that I'd already be knowing it. So I don't even want to know what it is. In fact, I'm peed off with the whole idea that I need to know what it is. You follow me? Mm -hmm. And allow yourself then to actually feel that you are purposefully choosing to deny a causal emotion rather than trying to access the causal emotion. Does that make sense? So, so let yourself identify those blocking type emotions. The blocking emotions all are the emotions that prevent the automatic flow of emotion out of you. Now, a blocking emotion might be something like, oh, I'm afraid of what other people will, will think of me if I do it. Or it might be that, you know, I view emotions as weak. The inside of me, I have this feeling that if I'm emotional, I'm weak. Um, I have a fear, you know, which is a fear of vulnerability. If other people see me being emotional, they'll be able to use that against me. You know, there's all sorts of blocking emotions that prevent us from feeling the emotions themselves that are underneath. Unfortunately, the hardest task on the Divine Love Path is to actually deal with your blockages. Right? Once you deal with your blockages, the underlying emotion just flows out of you. You know, and it's such a beautiful experience then because you can feel the change. But the hardest task and the most thankless part, part of the Divine Love Path, it seems at times, is this process of actually feeling the block to the emotion. So allow yourself to experience that. Yep. So, Getting back to our discussion about law, can you see how beautiful God's laws are? They've all been there to create this beautiful surroundings for you to actually access every single emotion within you that prevents your connection with God. And you don't need anybody else to help you, only if you connect with God and you have humility, you can actually do the whole lot without assistance. 
But why would you want to do that when you've got people around you, spirit friends around you who can assist you, as long as you're humble? Why wouldn't you just connect with them, let them feel, let yourself feel what God has given you to identify whether you're actually progressing or not. Let yourself do that. God has created these beautiful loving laws and later over the coming months I'll be talking about different laws in detail and how you can actually activate them to experience your joy in your life. Right? But God has created all these laws for your benefit, for your soul's benefit. They all have joyful consequences if you follow them. They all have painful consequences if you deny them. And that's beautiful in itself. Because it means, in the end, that everyone on this planet at some point in time will understand that one principle and everyone in the spirit world at some point in time in the future will understand that one principle and we'll be able to get from where we are universally and particularly here on earth in this place where there's still a lot of war, crime, suffering, pain and all these things and we'll be able to get rid of all of those things just by understanding this process within ourselves. And we can choose to follow the natural love path if that's the way we want to do it or we can choose to follow the divine love path if that's the way we want to do it. We have the free will to choose either path and we can progress in such a manner that this whole world will change around us as a result. I was just uh, wondering, um, at, a, at a soul level, you said from uh, level six below, they're not immortal. I was just wondering how long we've got if we don't pick up the message. <laughs> um, the, it's not known, the reason why I say it, they're not, they're not immortal, um, it's not known whether they're immortal or not. So uh, what I mean by that is, is that when you receive divine love into your soul, a part of God has actually entered your soul. Now since God can never be destroyed, it now means that you can never be destroyed. Because if you were, God would actually cease to exist too. Does that make sense to everyone? Mm -hmm. This is what immortality really means. When we're on the natural love path, because a part of God has not entered us yet, there is no knowledge within me and there's no technical or scientific foundation in me to believe that I'm immortal. Now my body might live a long time, for many thousands or hundreds of thousands of years even, um, in that state, in the six-sphere natural love state. But change is an internal, eternal uh, thing in the universe. Every single thing in the universe changes sooner or later. So how a six-sphere spirit will change in the future, we don't know. Because they have yet to receive divine love, so therefore they can't progress to the seventh sphere and beyond. So they're not changing in love. They're shifting from side to side but we don't know how that's going to affect their soul in the long run because we haven't lived long enough to know yet. So as to how what will happen, I don't know. But one thing I do know for certain is they, have, they are not immortal and so therefore may in fact change or even perish in one form and, and be created in another. I don't know. And no one really knows the answer to that until it happens. So this is why it's so important to even discuss this principle of divine love. Divine love gives you this potential of growing forever, of ch continually changing. Who of you likes change? Not many of you like change. This is not a good thing. <laughs> right? 
Change is an essential part of what you will come to like. Right? Your resistance to change now is actually preventing your own growth. Do you see that? So allow yourself to start changing. Okay, the, the change from your natural soul into your divine soul, again, can be a gradual process? It's always going to be a gradual process. Like, the, the sinner does not become the saint overnight. Right? Now, <laughs> darn, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of religions say you have a deathbed repentance, and what happens? Now you're in heaven. You don't have to go to hell anymore. Right? This is not how it works. The changes have to happen at the soul level. So every single change, and this is the beauty of it when you think about it, every single change has to happen at the soul level and so therefore it will be real. It'll be something that you actually will feel inside of yourself as a real change. So allow yourself to make the changes. Allow yourself to feel the changes that you need to feel in order to progress. Does that make sense? Um, within the um, laws of divine love, where does divine grace fit in, or is that just terminology? Um, I, I would. It's a law. Uh, it's to do with forgiveness and repentance, and it's one of the things I've already discussed. Remember the laws of forgiveness and repentance that I discussed. Grace is one of those is one of those laws that that are a part of that a group of laws. I often think of grace as as the process of God removing the causal emotion from within you because you have worked through the issue of repentance about things. Right? And God doesn't expect you to pay the penalties of it all. And that's the grace involved. See, what, what we do on earth here, if somebody sins against us, if somebody actually does something harmful against us, we want them generally to feel all the pain you thought, I felt about what they did, don't we? And even a bit more would be good, so they don't do it again. <laughs> right? That's how we feel, right? If God felt that way, none of us would ever exist, right? So, so God doesn't feel that way. What God feels is this feeling that once you come to recognize the causal emotions within yourself that created you or motivated you to take the actions you took disharmonious with love and are willing to experience that emotionally, God can remove the cause. That's grace. And, and, and not only remove the cause, but remove all the potential law of compensation effects as a result. And that's, that's really, really beautiful when you think about it. It means if I've done something like Hitler has done, right, I can actually progress because if, if I've done something like Hitler has done with the law of compensation, you imagine. You imagine how hard it would be to progress. Like you've got alone, you know, quite a few million Jews that have been slaughtered, right? And then you've got, you know, the, the motivations for war and all these other things that went on and... And not that he's totally, like, he's not the only person responsible for all of that, but I'm just giving an illustration. And the illustration is that this, all these dark emotions in this soul, imagine if you just killed one person, the effect on how many people, how many people does that affect? It affects their family, their friends, it affects, it affects their life on earth, it affects their potential children they could have had. Like, how do you fix all of that? Like, that's a pretty big thing to even attempt to fix, even killing one person. Now, just multiply that by 10 million. Right? How hard would that be? 
Now, with the law of divine love, it's all able to be repaired. But with the law of compensation, it's able to be repaired, but obviously will take a long, long time. By the way, just by, before we ask the next question, uh, the spirits here are now starting to feel like a bit more buoyant, buoyant which is good, um, and are starting to feel like there's a you know there's a way through uh, working through these things, understanding law and so forth. So that's really good. So I just want to encourage them for a moment, just to now they don't really need to listen to the rest of our conversation. All they need to do now is just connect to some brighter divine love spirits, and and they can uh, speak with you about uh, what's happening in your life and how to work through your emotions. And that's really, that, that's all enough now for you. You don't need to stick around any further if you don't want to. So. Yeah. Um, the, on the question of divine grace, uh, I was talking earlier on to somebody about that today, just now, at uh, the break. And I felt that every one of us that have been here today um, are receiving divine grace by the fact that there are six billion people on the planet. Uh, however many are in this room sitting, yep. listening to, you know, uh, and receiving God's gifts through you. Yep. You know, yep. I feel that's really an amazing, amazing gift. And it says a lot for your own law of attraction yeah. uh, as exactly. well, in terms of how much you desire truth and how much you want to, to practice truth. So, so even if you're getting downhearted sometimes and you're feeling like, oh, you know, you know, this all seems pretty hard and you're feeling like you're not really getting through your emotions. The fact is that being here has, has its own law of attraction. The fact is that you're you know, learning things you've never learnt before. That all is coming from your own desire. You've really got yourself to thank, right? You have. But you also have got to thank too, obviously, because you know, this is a beautiful truth that, that very few people in the past have ever learnt on the earth. But, but you're now learning them on the earth. And the, the, the beauty of that is unimaginable for you in the future. You, you have no idea what that's going to mean for your future, even if you pass, in terms of the average person who passes and the experiences that you will not have to have, that they have had to have in order to learn these lessons. So there's a lot of beautiful things happening and, and, and so therefore don't, don't cover over what you're learning either. Many of you have still got a lot of fear about what you're learning. You know, what are other people going to think of me learning this crackpot stuff? When, not that you think it's crackpot stuff, right? Otherwise you wouldn't be here. But, but you often feel that other people will feel that you're a crackpot, right? So deal with that emotion. Work your way through that emotion. Let yourself release it so that in the future you can actually speak openly about these truths that are, that are bringing joy to your own heart. Right? So let's look at the response to divine law. Divine law is a good thing. It maintains the harmony of the universe. Divine law also is a good thing for you personally because it's your feedback mechanism telling you what's bringing you closer to God or taking you further away from God. It's a, so it's a beautiful thing. Allow yourself to come to appreciate God's laws. One of, the, one of my personal passions for the last 2,000 years has been investigating God's laws surrounding the soul. Right? And the reason why it's been a really big personal passion for me is it has such a huge benefit on not only my own soul, but every single person who I can teach those laws to. 
to allow yourself to really feel these laws in your own life and allow yourself to begin teaching those laws to others and understanding them yourself completely. And remember that the simplest laws are the most powerful ones. So it's not going to be this big complicated process of you learning this and learning that and learning this over hundreds of years, you know, and then eventually you get to the stage where you understand. It's not like that at all. It can be a very, very rapid process that a child can understand. So hopefully today, with what we've gone through, it's giving you a bit of an overview or an introduction to God's laws. What we're going to do now, from now on, is we're going to start looking at some of the laws in a more detailed way in terms of how different laws can benefit you. Tomorrow, what we're going to be focusing on tomorrow is some of the laws that affect how you love other people. So they're what I would call a group of laws. There's a group of laws surrounding your love of another and we want to talk about some of those laws tomorrow. The next time we get together, which will be two weeks' time down in Brisbane, we'll talk about the laws surrounding the love of yourself. So many of us are still experiencing not very much love of self, right? And we're working through these emotions of love of self. So that's going to be very beneficial to look at what kind of actions and things that we need to do to affect our love of self. Then the day after that, what we're going to do is incorporate those two laws or lessons of laws, if you like, into your relationships, into your romantic relationships. All right. So that's uh, the plan over the next uh, few few weeks. After that, I don't know what we'll be doing at all. So, so it just depends. Just depends on what comes up. Yes, I, uh, you, um, you, you uh, went to my appetite with the, the laws of divine love, but you don't seem to be uh, uh, about to, to share them with us yet. I, I have already shared uh, a lot of the laws of divine love already. Yeah, in, in past sessions. So my suggestion is to get a DVD about some of those laws. And um, I'll be spending a lot more time on them in the future. But one thing I have noticed, and this is something I'd like to address to everyone, one thing I've noticed is that the sessions we've had about relationship with God have been the most poorly attended sessions. Now the reason why that is, is because there's still this feeling in many of you that you can't have a relationship with God. Does that make sense? Like that maybe God doesn't want you, or that you feel very frustrated in the relationship with God and so forth. So my suggestion is, what we'll be doing is this little series of talks, and then we'll be back on the relationship with God stuff again, and there we'll be talking about a lot of the principles of repentance, forgiveness, those kind of principles which are the highest laws. And my suggestion is hopefully by then you've worked through some of the emotions that prevent you from allowing a connection with God. Just allow yourself to work through what's going on with that relationship with God. So when I use the term God, many of you are still having trouble with that from an emotional perspective. Right? So allow yourself to, uh, to, give it, to get some trigger there. Many of you, when I talk about God, think, ah, oh, it's all getting too religious now. Right? So, so allow yourself to work through that emotion because it's not about religion. This is about your personal relationship with God and your own growth eternally. Where does a religion get involved in that? So it's not about that. But obviously there's some emotions about that. So allow yourself to work through those emotions. So my suggestion is over the next four weeks what we're trying to do is just open up some of the things of natural love as well. The reason why we're doing that is myself and Mary have noticed that a lot of you are still doing unloving things to others in, the, in 
justification of you dealing with your emotions. Do you know what I mean by that? Like you start feeling some anger and rage, and so what's the first thing you do? Find somebody. <laughs> find somebody who you can be angry and enraged with, right? And away you go, right? That's not harmonious with law, as you'll work work out tomorrow, right? That's not harmonious with law. You're going to harm yourself doing that and harm the other person as well if they don't if they have some emotions themselves that can be harmed through it. So allow yourself to start looking at that. You see what I'm saying? And this is one of the reasons why we're covering these subjects now because we feel that we feel that many times we're connecting with an emotion, but unfortunately we're staying in this emotion of wanting to punish, blame or hurt other people underneath that emotion and into the real causal emotion and experiencing and releasing that emotion. Does that make sense? So that's why we're covering this stuff now for the next uh, two weeks or, so, or three weeks or so. And then after that we'll get back onto this subject of, of our relationship with God and hopefully dealing with your emotions will be a bit less traumatic because at the moment what's happening for many is you're feeling your emotion, projecting it another and then getting another law of compensation pain in your own soul. Can you see? that? That's like keeping you stagnant. Does that make sense? Dennis? AJ, why do we tend to do it to the people closest to us? Because it's easier. <laughs> no, like, like if I know someone's going to bop me on my nose if I'm angry, I'm going to not get angry with them. But, but if I know somebody's not going to bop me in the nose, then, I, then I'm a lot more willing to get angry with them. Can you see that? Yeah, but, it, but you, I don't know. I, you t I tend to find that it, it, it's someone who, who is really close, you know, your partner, your, your wife, whatever. Yep. They're the ones that, that tend to take the brunt of your crap. Yep, and they shouldn't, obviously. Um, and that's an issue of love of themselves as well as to whether they're doing that. So there's obviously issues of love of themselves they have to work through if they're, if they're in a situation where you're projecting anger at them and they're not acting upon it. But that's not your justification for your anger. Yeah. All right? And this is why we want to talk about these two issues of love of self and love of others. It's very important you don't break those laws when you're on the divine love path. Can you understand why? It's called the divine love path. <laughs> Love, love path. It's a love path, right? So when you make the loving laws, there are going to be penalties upon your soul. And, and so the, the problem is, is that we can keep ourselves stagnant for some time if we do that, right? So um, what we want to do is help you get past that point of stagnation and into this place where you're really owning the underlying causal emotion rather than projecting this stuff at other people around you. Anyway, I'd like to thank you very much for your time today. And uh, tomorrow, look forward to your company if you're coming tomorrow. And thanks for also all of your donations that you've given today and, and in the past as well. And myself and Mary uh, went out and got a reliable car at, at last. Uh, yeah. But it actually wasn't from your donations. <laughs> it was a courtesy of a thing called a MasterCard. And, <laughs> But, uh, but one of the issues I'm working through is actually the issue of self-love. And, um, and one of the things that I've noticed personally with my issue of self-love is, is I have a lot of self-love except when it comes to emotions regarding my soulmate or emotions regarding my father, God. And so what, I've, what I'm working through now is this group of self-love emotions. And, uh, and so I'm personally having a lot of emotions to work through and having a lot of uh, tearful sessions. 
but in the process, uh, feeling quite differently, and even my body now is starting to feel a lot less pain than what it was feeling before as a result. So one of the reasons why we're also discussing this issue of self-love is so that I can sort of talk to you about some of these things that I've worked my way through and share with you how to actually work through your way through some of the issues you have with regard to your own love of self. So hopefully we can do that too over the coming over the coming months. But thank you for your time, guys. Thank you.